here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Give me a name. Like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. You are listening to the best wrestling podcast in the world the voice of wrestling flagship podcast i of course am the most compelling voice in wrestling media the kenta kabashi of sex and a good family man you can be both of those things at the same time i am joined by the captain rich back from vacation crate that's one of your names now it's a moniker it's locked in and we got a lot to get to we've got a dominion review to talk about What's coming up next for New Japan? A little bit of AEW news. We've got some Dragon Gate, which we're guaranteed to get to because as of right now, we have it slotted for the middle of the show. A new segment, Rich. Rich, we're doing a new segment. Oh, debut. I can't wait. Another. So, and, and by that, people are probably saying, oh, you know, what Brandy played for again? No, that's not a new segment. That was last week's segment. So, that's not new. So, it's another new segment, back to back weeks. Of new segments here on the Voice Wrestling Flagship. I can't it's believe it. It's a different new segment. And we're not going to say what it is, even though you probably put it in the description. But we're uh, gonna... not on the one that people saw on Patreon. This this was a late addition to the, uh, the the Patreon one. So if you're a Patreon oh, subscriber, right. you got most of the notes for this week's episode. But uh, not the notes of this. I didn't want to reveal the secret uh, new topic. So, I, so. so I'll tell you what. Don't put it in any of the show descriptions. And let's not talk about it till we get to it. So we've got a surprise new segment coming up at the end of the show but first rich before we get into dominion i've i i've got to tell you about super showdown i cannot avoid telling you about is that what it was called super showdown wwe super showdown from jetta okay and redacted (laughs) we can't say where it's from we can tell you what city it was yes yeah i'd I'd joe i'd love nothing more than to hear your thoughts on super show rich you have to hear about super showdown it was so bad (laughs) that i cannot avoid talking about the super showdown didn't they call the show from australia yes yes they did so somehow (laughs) joe i don't fucking know man somehow in six months we've had two super showdowns one in australia which made sense super showdown i thought the down down under yeah like that made sense you know that would be the then they just said this one was called super showdown too so i don't know but 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 it's but one of them wasn't as good or equal to wrestlemania 
It's only true. this one was. Only this one was. And this one. Or equal to What a weird thing to like. <laughs> it's so wordy and why just say on par with WrestleMania or comparable to or right. a par- WrestleMania like event for yes. the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It, but yeah, equal- like leaving the door open, equal to or greater than. Well, it's what, like I'm back what, in math cl- I'm back in Mrs. Fisher's math class in fifth grade, like equal to or lesser than like what just it's so wordy you know i, I promise it was on a contract you know what i mean like that was definitely a contracted like thing of like hey we WWE will provide an event that is equal to or greater than wrestlemania on this date and for whatever fucking reason they just said well just say that line so we'll get in trouble we, can, we can't have this guy pull out any any a single dollar we need every bit of this $60 million to, in our other categories. So I'm guessing it was just some contract term or whatever. And they, I, I don't know if they think it's funny to kind of just say these things or if they feel like they have to say these things because if they don't, they, I, I have no, I'm trying to explain what the fuck is going on with that Saudi Arabia WWE thing is impossible to do. But yes, an event equal to or greater than WrestleMania, the Super Showdown. Yeah, I brought up uh, Mrs. Fisher, fifth grade math class. You ever wonder how many of your teachers are dead? You know, I did, not that long ago, I was with buddies. We were out drinking uh, and all kind of like going down the list. And we we basically we, we nailed it down to at least 10 that were confirmed, like no doubt dead. Yeah. Like real, like they were old and we were in like third grade. It's like, yeah, there's no way. And they were like stressed. You knew they smoked the second they got away from us. Like you knew that, you know that they're dead. But then, yeah, we, we, were, we put some wild cards in there too. Just some, some oddities that maybe, you know, not, like, not quite sure. And we were able to confirm, I think three or four of them. But uh, yeah, it, 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 I always do one of that as well. At this point in your life, you've had teachers like 25 or 30 years ago. If you're going back to kindergarten. So it's like, a lot of these fuckers are dead, you know? And sometimes I just stop and think about that. Like Mrs. Fisher's dead. There's no question about it. Fifth grade. Was she pretty I'm, old even then? She had to be pushing 60. I'm old as fuck. She's dead. I mean, there's no question about it. <laughs> you know, she's definitely dead. And it's like, you can look, I don't know about um, Illinois, but New Jersey, you know, with the unions and everything, you can look up and see who's, it's all public information. You can see because they're state employees and all that. And you can see who's still getting pension and all and all that. And you can look up when people's pensions stopped being paid out and why, and it'll say deceased. So I could actually look up all of my teachers online to see which ones are dead. And I do that like every two or three years or so to check up. And, you know, I every time I do it, there's like, you know, three or four more that are now dead. But it's just something I thought about when I brought up Mrs. Fisher. I know she's dead. But it's just one of them weird thoughts, dark thoughts that enter your mind. How many of my te- – like if you're driving you know, and you're just zoning out, it's like you think about your history teacher from eighth grade. You're like, you know what? You start doing the math in your head. You're like, well, if I give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he was only like 52 or 53, but he was probably older than that. And that was how many years ago you start counting on your fingers. You're like, that dude is either 87 or he's dead. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, freaked out. Man, yeah, I, I, I forgot to actually. That's a great idea to look at the teachers' union list. I think, I think we could do the same here in Illinois. So, uh, that's going to change the game for me. Yeah, it should, be, it should be public record, so you should be able to look that up. Uh, I have a, I have a, um, what do you call the gimmick? The guidance counselors, right? Right, right. I had a guidance counselor. I guess we did. I don't know. I never saw him. I, I never, never saw him. To, so never. <laughs> I don't know what they like, got paid for. So. I, I, I'd get the note. You'd get the note in homeroom like four times a year because they just wanted to like check in on you. Right. 
Like, come see the guy. I'd throw right in the garbage. Never. No, I got no use for the guidance counselor. Anyway, I had a guidance counselor in sixth grade, okay? Mr. Ray. My mother had him as a guidance counselor in high school. Oh, he's so dead. <laughs> he's alive. The what? Last, yes. 99? Yes. The last yeah. time I checked, he was like 98 years old and still Jesus. collecting like 40 grand a year or whatever. Oh, my God. Like, he's bankrupting the state. He's <laughs> bankrupting the state. This man is still alive. He was my mother's guidance counselor in high school. And then he was my guidance counselor. And my mother went to high school with Susan Sarandon. So do that math for a second. Okay. So the, 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 it's insane. Like that guy's still kicking, you know? Meanwhile, I got like gym teachers that died of heart attacks at like 48, you know? So, you know, give it up for Mr. Ray. I don't know what kind of diet he's eating, but uh, he might be dead now though. So I might've jinxed it because I haven't checked in like a year or so. And when you're that old, it could come any minute. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, who knows? Maybe I should look that up. Maybe the listeners would like to be updated on my sixth grade guidance count. I'm sure they would. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, maybe we'll come back next week and (laughs) I'll do a little bit of research. You can do a little bit of research. We could find out how many of our... uh... Our old teachers are dead now, so. Anyway, the Super Showdown, Rich. Oh, yes, of course. Speaking of dead bodies. I I didn't want to laugh. I wasn't sure if it was. I'm glad you made the joke. I'm glad it was you that made that joke. Rich, I I am already canceled, so I can make it. That that was actually a good thing, because I was ready, and then you took it. So go ahead. (laughs) The Super Showdown. I want, listen, I'm not going to run down this entire story. Please, dear God, don't. Yeah, (laughs) But this is legitimately one of the worst shows I've ever seen. The Triple H Randy Orton match. I think they're still wrestling. <laughs> okay, it was so, and it was so bad. Um, I want to talk about Rich. Who would you consider the three top baby faces in WWE? And of course, we're not counting Becky Lynch because you well, know, you know, <laughs> she didn't work the Super Showdown. Okay, so obviously you're talking. Like full time, top full time baby faces. Sure, you got Seth Rollins, right? The Universal Champion. Let's Seth Rollins. I would say Seth, Kofi, and I guess Roman would be probably my third. You know what? I think that'd be most people's three, right? So, the three top baby faces, besides Becky Lynch, on the WWE roster, uh, wrestled on this show. Rich, do you want to know the results of their matches and how they uh, and how those results came to be on this show? I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. I I, uh, I purposely went on my way to not follow the Super Showdown whatsoever. So yeah, that'd be good actually. Whether you said yes or not, I was going to give them to you. <laughs> so let's break it down. Seth Rollins, Rich, took on Baron Corbin. Oh man! Wow. Title. Main event in any town, any country. Correct. And uh, he did win that match when. Baron Corbin was busy arguing with the referee and Seth rolled him up with a schoolboy. Wow. So that was how Seth Rollins defeated. <laughs> Got to protect Baron. So. Top contender Baron Corbin and Rich. That's actually, it, it went the best for Seth in terms of the three top baby faces on the show. He was booked the strongest. Do you want to know how Kofi Kingston uh, turned back Dolph Ziggler to retain the WWE title? Oh, God. It really did Kofi. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Dolph Ziggler. These are all happening at Stopping Grounds again, right? They're doing rematches for like all these matches. That's for next week. Don't jump ahead. No, no, I know. I'm just trying to think in my head. I'm like, wait a minute. That's exactly what's happening uh, at Stopping Grounds. The listeners are frothing at the mouth for that preview next week. Kofi Kingston took on Dolph Ziggler. Kofi, very popular, right? He's gotten over big with the fans, always gets a nice reaction. Uh, Big time babyface Dolph Ziggler. 
villainous heel returned. They pretended that he left the company. Did you know that? That's his story. <laughs> I forgot they did that. <laughs> They're pretending that Dolph left the company to pursue other opportunities, and he just came back. find any. There's just none out there, Joe. Where else do you go in this wrestling world? You I, have more. A, I have a theory on Dolph. I think that they've, you know, with the loss of Dean Ambrose and all the news that all these wrestlers want to leave, they're pretending that someone wanted to come back. You see what I mean? It's like, right, oh, right, right. there's people that want to come here and wrestle here. The guy never left. But anyway, um, he's taking out Dolph Ziggler. And remember, Kofi's the baby face. Dolph is the heel. Kofi won the match when he distracted the ref <laughs> and Xavier Woods kicked Dolph in the face leading to Kofi hitting the trouble in paradise or <laughs> one of his other moves for the win. So thanks to Xavier oh, Woods kicking now later in the show an incensed Dolph Ziggler. And he has every right to be incensed <laughs> right. by the way, <laughs> demanded a rematch with Kofi Kingston in a steel cage where his baby face tag team partners, Xavier Woods cannot interfere. Why is the heel getting screwed and demanding a cage match? Why is it not just, justifi justifiably getting the cage match too? He's His the baby face here. Very, right. He's the baby face here. I don't care who's throwing the pancakes. How do you not feel bad for Dolph? He got screwed. And it, it's pretty smart to ask for a cage match. Anyway. Number three, Roman Reigns. And this is the best one, Rich. Roman Reigns took on 50-year-old Shane McMahon. <laughs> Former in, uh, the, the best in the world. I don't know if you remember that uh, last time right. they were in redacted. Uh, Shane McMahon won uh, the World Cup to determine the best in the world. So, um, yes, make sure you remember that. Yeah, but yeah, he is. he's the best in the world. That's right. He has the trophy to prove it. He, he did indeed win uh, the, the World Cup to determine the best in the world. Much like a valued follower of ours, Garbage McFart, who is a <laughs> who is a champion shit poster, and uh, he he's it's he trophies. He's got the trophies right there in his uh, banner. But anyway. Um, I think Garbage McFarts is a listener, so he'll I'm sure he'll uh he'll he'll check in with us. But um Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon. So uh one-on-one -on -one singles competition with Drew McIntyre on the outside. Of course, they're building a Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns feud. So you'd think that Roman would just beat the 50-year-old guy, and then uh the 50-year-old guy would send his young uh you know uh bodyguard type to face Roman on the next show sure. to seek revenge, right? That would make sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, here's what happened in that match. Shane McMahon squashed Roman Reigns. <laughs> he took 90% of the match. I'm not making any of this up, by the way. He took 90% of the match. What did that look like? It Was it just Shane throwing his shit punches and, Ro and Reigns having to sell those shit punches? Even better. He grapple-fucked them. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it's like his, his strip mall MMAs. <laughs> It was too much for Roman to handle. Side headlocks with like no leverage. Um, yeah, just like slapping on holds, you know. For his really, bi-monthly MMA training that he does. So really loose and you know, totally fucking cooperative from Roman. Didn't even look like he's trying to get out of him. Rich, I'm not exaggerating, I'm not doing a bit. Ask anyone who watched the show. He took at least 90% of the match. Roman finally made his big comeback at the end, and you're thinking, all right, Roman's going to hit the Superman punch, the spear, whatever the fuck, put this dude away. He, you know, he got dominated for 90% of it, but at least he'll get the arm raised. But no, another ref distraction. Drew McIntyre hits the, whatever he calls that kick in the face, whatever whatever ethnic name they give that kick in the face. I think it's the uh, Claymore kick, maybe? Is I believe it is called? the Claymore kick, yes. 
So he hits the Claymore kick and uh, Roman promptly gets pinned by Shane McMahon after being dominated for 90% of the match and having his comeback cut off by the interfering uh, Drew McIntyre. So uh, that's how your top three baby faces retreated <laughs> in, in Riyadh Redacted. So, Joe, I'm seeing uh, apparently Wikipedia has uh, has just absolutely lost all semblance of editorial. Um Randy Orton defeats Triple H in 25 minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah, it's true. That no, that that can't be. No, that yeah, that's how long it was. Because every other match, the next longest match is 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Right. And you're telling me that Randy Orton Triple H 2545? Correct. And you want me to believe that? 100% true. <laughs> and 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 Rich, it was fucking terrible. Well, come on. I mean, Jesus. The drizzling shits, boring, uncompelling. You want to talk about slapping on side headlocks? I mean, this thing was like, how long is it? Twenty five minutes. Uh, Twenty five minutes, forty five seconds is what the. Try about eighteen minutes of side headlocks. Yeah. They did the old house show thing where, like, you know, Randy would have the side headlock, you know, and Triple H would start to power up, and he'd start pumping his fist as he starts to stand, right? And then Randy would drag him back down to the mat again and slap it back on. You know, and we'd go back to another six-minute side headlock. And then they would tease Triple H coming out of it. You know, like it was Butch Reed versus Coco Beware in Boston. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and, then, and then, you know, I shouldn't say Coco Beware. His match is always ruled. Uh, Butch Reed versus insert other baby face here. It doesn't matter. Anyone but Coco. And, you know, and then he, you know, he's trying to get the crowd in, and then he drag him back down. The problem was the crowd didn't give a shit about any of this. So they were doing these spots designed to get the crowds to like stomp or clap or whatever as he's making is getting out of the side hill. But it didn't happen. They did get into it towards the end, but this this match was so bad and so boring. And yes, Rich, it was 30 minutes long. I'm also seeing here 51 men battle royal. So it was not a Royal Rumble style. It was a everybody get in the ring. Oh yeah. So it was 51 dudes in a ring all at once. Correct. Oh boy. Announcers not knowing who's eliminated. Well, how could you? Know, you? Yeah, I mean, think about. It. I, I always, I always love this idea of. So somebody got on a plane, flew to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or redacted, if you will, and then was the fourteenth person eliminated from a fifty-one man battle royal. You know what I mean? Rich. Like Eric flew, got Eric of the Viking War Raider party got right. on a plane and took a whatever hour flight. Correct. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia got off and in 100 degree heat was like the 13th dude eliminated from a 51 man battle royal. And I'll do you one back and got back on a plane. I'll do you one better. Oh, by the way, it was over 100 degrees in the stadium, which yeah. they were telling us all throughout the show and like bragging about it. Um, <laughs> I'll do you one better than, than I'd say Eric. working conditions are a pretty fun thing to, to, to laugh about. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do you one better than Eric. Our truth got on the plane to Saudi Arabia and never appeared in front of the live fans. He just shot 24-7 vignettes on the plane. <sighs> How about that? God. <laughs> Wait, did they actually fly a plane? Like, they couldn't just do that in, like, a grounded plane? Well, I don't know. They showed him on the plane. Interesting. Well, he's with, he was probably with other, I mean, other guys were there, so. Right, the, the whole crew, all the right, battle right, royal right. geeks, all the battle royal geeks. And according to Meltzer, they flew him to Saudi Arabia. And I watched the show. Look, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember him appearing in front of the crowd. They didn't do any like comedy stuff with the 24-7 title. I don't remember him appearing in front of the crowd, and I don't believe he was in the Battle Royal. 
So they flew him on the plane just to film like a th 30 seconds worth of 24-7 bits. And then he didn't even appear in front of the crowd. So I don't know what's worse. Ivar being the 18th man eliminated from a 50-man battle royal and never even getting his name called. Okay, he didn't even call half these people's names. EC3 was the first man out. He was eliminated literally right at the bell. Like the bell rang and whoever the fuck scooped him up from behind and threw him out. You think he got on the plane in his gear? I'd like to say, I'd like to think, yeah. He just like immediately walked to the airport. Have you seen his entrances in yes. house shows? Yeah. That's, he is uh, totally checked out. He is so checked out. <laughs> he like is so unenthused. He wants to get fired among, you know, dozens of other people in that company. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Meltzer was saying this, they had like a stopover flight in Brussels or something on the way home. And his phone blew up with text messages from wrestlers just complaining. Mostly the Battle Royal guys. Like they flew me to fucking this, you know, this fucking country for for this. So I could be in a battle royal for eight minutes in 110 degree weather. I'm surprised because I was I when when I knew that they were doing a 51 man whatever, I assumed it was gonna be a rumble. Like, yeah, you can maybe don't maybe make it a minute in between entrances, but make it, you know, 20 seconds in between. Let Ivar get his fucking entrance. Let you know uh, Humberto Cairo get like, you know, five seconds to come out and have a crowd go, hey, yeah, it's that guy. But like I, the idea that everybody was just in there and then they just got eliminated and somebody got eliminated, the 24th, you know, guy got eliminated. I, it's just, <laughs> it's fascinating. First, uh, I, number one, it's Humberto Carrillo. Oh, yes, okay, yes, don't, yes. don't disrespect my boy. Number, ninja. That's right. And he was in the match, by the way. Um, and, and Renee said he was handsome. He did get mentioned on the well, He's quite handsome. So. He's, he's a handsome wrong. guy. He's very handsome. Um, but yeah, I mean. Mox, no. Mox better watch out, man. Mox is, you know, he's. he's that's Japan, right. And then the ultimate ninjas in the kingdom, you know, and she's already calling guys handsome. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, not a rumble and an absolute. And they did show the absolute parade of geeks as they were just <laughs> walking to the ring, single file. Uh, a lot of them not looking very thrilled. I mean, like the Usos coming out and they're just like slump shouldered. You know what I mean? And uh, I think two or three guys got music and entrances. The Miz. Samoa Joe, and I can't remember who else. It may have been just those two. So everyone else just came out, single file parade of geeks. And then Mansoor was your winner. So that was your 51-man battle royal. There you go. And then uh, somebody nearly died in the main event, from what I heard. So that's good. <laughs> Solid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Goldberg knocked himself out, and they nearly killed each other. They almost, yeah. Both died in the middle of the ring, 110 degree ring, men pushing 60. Isn't Undertaker younger than you think he is? Like, hasn't he been like 49 for the last 10 years? Yeah, I want to say that I'm always kind of surprised when I look at what his age actually is. Let me, uh, he is, he's 54, which like is old, but also, I mean, not as old as you would sort of think he was. I think he was one of those guys that like, sh like shockingly, when you go back and watch like Mean Mark Callis stuff or like his debut, you know, at Survivor Series 1990 or whatever. Dude's like 26 years old. And like, you, I mean, yeah. he, you don't, they kind of always look the same. Like he didn't really start looking old until, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. And I think that kind of helped it. But yeah, he was a guy that I think is shockingly young in his early days. Whereas now like it is, it, it's maybe still not as old as you would think he kind of is. So he started in that late eighties era where everybody looked old. So you didn't realize that he was like 24 when he's in the skyscrapers or whatever, you know, but that, you know, they, yeah, he's, 
he's he i always think of him 25 when he debuted at the survivor series 25 (laughs) in the survivor yeah right so wcw he was like 23 24 and if you go back and watch that stuff he doesn't look like a 23 year old man he looks like he's well into his 30s at that point but everybody looked old in the late 80s it's just the style and the hair and cocaine I mean, De- Dennis Condry, like at the peak of the Rock and Roll Express, of uh, the Midnight Express, you would think that the guy was in his 40s. He was like 28. And he looked like he lived some life. And he was only like 28, like during some of those years, like 84, 85 or whatever. You know, and it's like he definitely looked like a man in his 40s. So it's just the 80s were weird like that. You know, we always talk about Judy Martin. Like when she was in the Glamour Girls, I could have swore she was 50. I think she's like 58 now. Like it's it's incredible, you know. She was like in her late twenties, right? With the glamour yeah, girls. I, I think Bobby Eaton, when he started with the Midnight Express, he was twenty-seven years old. You know, Bobby. Eaton. He was thirty-seven. <laughs> like I would, I would add ten years. That's when he started with the Midnight Express. He was twenty-seven years old. Yeah. So anyway, that was um, yeah, a, a topic. We went off thrilling, the board. thrilling, yeah. I didn't expect it to go that long, but uh, we went off the board again. But we got to talk about uh, Dominion. You got an ad read or something? Or Nothing, man. We can go right into it. Now, we're, we're pretty clean this week. It's an ad-free week. So I will. Uh, I guess I will mention, of course, the uh, the Voice Wrestling Patreon, patreon.com slash Voices Wrestling for all our, our, our bonus contents that we do. Uh, a lot of good stuff on there. We did, of course, Best of the Super Juniors. You, uh, every single day, kind of did updates about that. That is coming again for the G1. Uh, I have a new uh, VOW retro coming in the next few days, talking about Goldberg's heel turn, which is 19 years ago. Uh, yesterday, as, as we're recording this, yesterday, 19 years ago. Uh, some other good stuff on there as well. Obviously, we do Q&As. You do your TV reviews. A lot of good stuff on there. And I think we haven't mentioned this uh, in a while as well, but uh, voicewrestling.com slash uh, 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 Amazon, I should say. So if you do any purchase on Amazon, uh, make sure you do it at voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. We get a small percentage back. So uh, we know you're all addicted to Amazon anyway, so you might as well let us get a small percentage of that and not everything go to Jeff Bezos. Uh, so yeah, the voicewrestling.com slash Amazon to do that, and we will get a small percentage. It does help us out quite a bit. And, and I think I'll also say, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast or any other of the Voice Wrestling uh, Podcast Network podcasts, uh, make sure you uh, review it as well, whatever service you're on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's uh, Google Play, whatever service you're on, if they allow reviews, give a quick review because it uh, does help a lot, even if it's just a star review uh do that but if you can put a few words in there and say hey i like these guys or i hate this no no negative reviews we have no time for you to fucking negative reviews we'll just call you out and by name and 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 shame you anyway if you do that so don't do that only positive reviews but um it does help uh, not only this show, but every other show uh, on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. So definitely do that. And I will add one more thing as well, the uh, the forums. We're trying to get uh, discussion back to the forums. That was the thing that we, we did a few years ago. We kind of let it fall off a bit, and I think we're kind of ready to see if we can get it going again. Uh, voicewrestling.com slash forums. Make sure you uh, uh, join up there. Uh, join the discussion. A lot of good stuff going on with all uh, wrestling all across the world. Uh, voicewrestling.com slash forums. All right. Yeah, that's it. I got that free show. Other than that, that's it. We're done. The best threads on the forum are the threads discussing this show every week where everybody comes in and buries us yeah so, it's great yeah within like an hour somehow somebody has listened to the show the three-hour show in an hour and tells us what we're wrong all about which is great it, it's it's, right. it's pretty fun so it's yeah like i love i love waking up in the morning and just getting like all right here we go yeah. like what do we fuck up what did people hate what segment do they think of shit like it's just it's good stuff so i go to that section of the forum i see seven replies already and i'm just like all right Let's see what everybody hated. But uh, what do we got here? Uh, Dominion. Okay. So um, big picture thoughts 
of the Dominion card, Richard? What did you think of the Dominion card overall? Yeah, so I thought a uh, thumbs up show definitely. We'll we'll talk about a few of the matches, of course, that come up and and a few of the matches that we're going to talk about here. I, I saw some people mention like show of the year, and I, I don't quite know if it was that. I, I don't know if it was like one of the best shows I've seen this year, one of the best shows I've seen in a while. It had some pretty high highs, but it had a, just a lot of just kind of stuff on it too. So I, I think the card on paper maybe sounded better than it actually probably delivered. And I guess the, your mileage may vary depending on like what you thought of a few different matches, but I think there was one match that was like actually legitimately terrible. Uh, which we'll talk about here. I uh, won a few matches I'd, I'd call kind of disappointing, uh, but all in all, a thumbs up. And and it's hard to really call a show bad when it you know it featured Will Ospreay and, and Dragon Lee, and then of course the the, the Naito Kotobushi match, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, I'm thumbs up. And and there was even some matches on the the undercard that maybe didn't like in a nerdy kind of star rating sense didn't quite deliver on that level, but delivered in terms of like to- telling a really great story and being a really fun match. Like uh, the-, the opener, which we'll talk about here in a minute, like that's actually probably one of my favorite matches the entire night, but it's one that you can't really rate on any sort of level. It's not like, you know, what, what are you going to rate Moxley and Uminu? Like, you know, so we talked about it you know, last week where, you know, the- sometimes the downside of-, of of star ratings is they don't properly it's hard to judge a match or it's hard to rate a match that does its job perfectly, but also isn't like technically a good quote unquote match or whatever. So, you know, again, with, with Dominion, I think I'm, I'm thumbs up. I'm probably two thumbs up, but show of the year, one of the best shows I've seen in a while. It's not quite to that level, but I still think it, it, it was very solid all around. I don't know what you think of any of this because we didn't really talk about we it. We haven't. No, we haven't talked about Dominion at all. Which is interesting because I heard you slip something in there where you said there was one terrible match. And I'm looking at it and trying to figure out, I've got two contenders. So I'm curious to see when we're going through the card, when we get to what you considered to be a terrible match. I didn't think any of the matches on the show were terrible, um, but I have two that I think you may have thought were terrible. But anyway, um, my overall thoughts, I haven't really seen people calling it a show of the year contender. I've been seeing more of people that were down on the show, which to me is baffling. Because while I don't think this is a show of the year contender, I thought this show was so fun. This was one of the funnest shows that you'll see. I I had so much fun watching this from start to finish. There's maybe one or two matches in there that felt like a a little bit of a slog or that I wasn't interested in. Other than that, you had a bunch of cool angles. Every 10 minutes, you got another surprise person announcing their entry into the G1. You had a bunch of great matches on the back end. This show was fun. I really don't understand people who were banging on this show. It's like, have we lost grip of just like what a fun wrestling show is now? Because that's what this was. You had angles. You had, you know, uh, fresh faces uh, showing up. You had great matches on the back end. And this card wasn't perfect. And this wasn't one of the best shows, uh, you know, of the year. I'm not going to think about it when I'm thinking about show of the year or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you something. This is going to be a memorable show. This is going to be one of those shows that you're going to remember five years from now because you're going to remember Moxley's weirdness with Shota Aminu. You're going to remember Kenta showing up. You're going to remember Shingo uh, declaring himself for the G1. You're going to remember that disgusting bump that Ibushi took in the Naito match. This is going to end up being one of those shows that's memorable uh, where you can look back and you remember a lot of things from it. And that's really two shows in a row for New Japan because we talked about that last week with the Shingo Will Osprey match, which is going to go down as a uh, as a classic match in New Japan Junior history. Um, there was no question about it. So I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought there was a lot. There were, it was sprinkled with great matches. It was sprinkled with surprises and fun stuff. 
absolutely. If you're just going thumbs up, thumbs down, doing the old observer scale, it's an easy thumbs up. For sure. Easy thumbs up. So anyway, uh, let's start. You know, this time, let's start at the at the beginning of the show. Well, well actually, one thing I wanted to do before before we get to the show itself, I did want to talk, I, take a quick look at the attendance of the show as well. We like to talk the business a little bit here. 11,901 for, for the attendance of this show. I'll just kind of give you an idea. Last year's show, 11,832. Uh, 2017, 11,756. So kind of stay with the same level going up slightly. Uh, 2016, of course, the one weird sort of oddity with these uh, uh, Osaka Joe Hall shows, uh, 9,925, despite it being you know, Naito and Okada uh, in the main events. And 2015, 11,400 for that one. So, I mean, again, another, you know, they stayed in that 11,000 range, a, li- a little little under, you know, 12,000. But I think, you know, thumbs up for again, uh, getting higher, you, you know, an uh, increase of almost 100 fans uh, year over year to 11,901. And, and we continue to talk about how despite the fact that they, they might lose guys uh, left and right it doesn't seem to be affecting the business all that much uh, not only that th- yeah the 11901 this is the uh, highest attended dominion um since they started running this building mm-hmm. so 2015 you just went through them all uh so a shade under 12000 and what that also tells you is and we'll get to this when we get to the main event is people can whine and cry about chris jericho all they want they're going to keep paying him if he keeps drawing that is the bottom line so if you don't like Chris Jericho, I get it. If you're sick of Chris Jericho, I understand. If you've had enough of Chris Jericho, look, I, I, I totally understand that train of thought from a fan perspective. Unfortunately, if you're someone who's sick of Chris Jericho, what you need to root for is one of his shows to bomb. That has not happened yet. And if he keeps breaking records, Rich, they're going to keep paying him. Sure, <laughs> I mean, right. you know, they're going to keep bringing him back. So, um, you know, it's, it's, that's the deal with Jericho. And that's why he wanted the flexibility to work New Japan because he knew that he still had drawing matches on the table. He still had Okada. And we talked about, remember, Rich, remember we talked about this. He still had Okada on the table. He still had Tanahashi on the table, which is the next one they set up. And he still has Minoru Suzuki on the table. And now we know for a fact he's doing Tanahashi. And I would not be shocked at all if he does Minoru Suzuki. In fact, it would line up perfect for for one of those dome shows. And that would be a huge traction, those two guys as one of the featured matches on one of those dome shows. I assume that those are the people that are left that he would like to work with. And who knows? Maybe he wants to work with Jay White. I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe he wants to work with Kota Ibushi. The bottom line is he saw money matches that were remaining on the table. New Japan agreed with him, and they saw money matches that remained on the table. And that's why he signed the contract he did with AEW. And uh, this was the first one up. And look, he knocked it out of the park again. It's the biggest attendance they've done in that building. So, you know, if you're one of these people who are sick of Jericho, I hate to break it to you. You're getting, you're getting more Jericho. And if this Tanahashi match draws, you're getting more Jericho after that. They're going to keep using Jericho until one of two things happen. He stops drawing money or he's sick of doing it. So those are the, or, or he runs out of opponents. But here's the thing. Rich, if he keeps drawing, right? Let's say he works Tanahashi. Yeah, they'll, they'll find opponents. <laughs> you yeah, know I mean? you know Tanahashi, Suzuki, uh, and, you know, and if the Suzuki match draws, then they'll put him in there with Will Ospreay, or they'll put. I was going to say with- Will seems like one that that you know eventually when he decides, hey, this is my last one. Knowing what Jericho is and knowing what he thinks about the business and 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 all that sort of stuff, I could absolutely see him saying, okay, look, I want Will final one i'm gonna put him over on my way out or whatever like i could 100 percent see that the second when you run down those names i kept thinking in my head will 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 for whatever reason that just keeps 
ringing in my head is that whenever he's done and that would be the last one, you know what I mean? It wouldn't be yeah. him beating Will and then going on to face Suzuki or what it would be like when he's done, when I'm, I'm moving on and I'm ready to go retire or, or go do fuzzy shit or whatever the hell he's going to do afterwards. Will is going to be that last one. I really do think that. Yeah. Maybe he'll, maybe Jay white. I mean, who knows, you know, he'll, if, if, if they're still willing to pay him and he's drawing and he, he'll, sure. he'll find opponents to come up with pitch to them, you know? And he, he finds ways like losses, the guy's Teflon. I mean, because you look at the way, you know, he loses this match. It doesn't fucking matter. 30 seconds later, he's beating the guy down and, and then, you know, is in a hot angle with Tanahashi and, and no one remembers the loss anymore. And then he takes the mic and he heals it up and he says, I, I never lose. You know, I might lose, but I never lose. You know, so he understands. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. Um, he's very smart. He understands how to stay over even if he loses. And uh, look, I get it. It's kind of annoying that this guy can just parachute in off of losses and get title matches and that kind of stuff bothers us too. But at least for me, I can't knock them for putting him in matches like this. And that 11, nine Oh one, that ends the argument to me. That ends the debate. There's no debate after that. So, you, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's not the kind of pro wrestling booking I like, but I have to shrug my shoulders and say, I, I can't blame them. And I know why they do it. Um, anything else on the attendance or the business or I think that's wanna... it. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of point out again that I just thought it interesting number. And, and again, despite all the losses, despite, you know, a, a guy, you know, Jericho in the main event, it, yeah, things not only keep doing well, but actually get a little bit better. So. Yeah. You know, the, the Jericho Okada match, you know, clearly was, was, a, was a huge draw, but anyway, let's go through the card. Uh, you referenced it. We both referenced it a little bit earlier. John Moxley in the opener defeats Shota Aminu. In what was pretty much uh, what I expected. I mean, he went in there. He went right after him. Um, Aminu had one hope spot with the drop kick. And uh, Moxley, I don't even think he... Did he leave his feet? I know he stumbled a bit. He may have took you taking a bump. I can't yeah, I, I'm trying to remember in my head if he actually did take a bump. I don't think he did. I think he staggered and like bounced off the ropes. He sold for him a little bit. He may have taken a bump off of it too. But that was really the only spot that Aminu got. And then he beat him with the double arm DDT, which he's... What's he calling that now? The... Uh, He's got some new name for it. Anyway, it's the old, it's a movie he's been using. Someone's screaming at us, but yeah, I, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> not, yeah, we're I don't, not the move. We're not the move podcast. So it's a double arm DDT. You know, that's, you know, it, that, that pretty much uh, uh, sums it up. I don't know what goofy name he gave it. It has something to do with his, um, I, who know, Who cares? I don't know. Uh, but he beat him with the double arm DDT. Uh, well, he used to call it the Dirty Deeds. Is he still calling yeah, it that? No, no, no. He changed it. It's not he changed it. Yeah. What the hell did yeah, he change it into? I don't know. It's something to do with his new persona. I, but it's the double arm DDT. The one still, hitter. Does that sound right? The no, one hitter. Not. Okay. Damn it. No, doesn't sound right. Um, Andrew Rich would know. Yeah, he's he's screaming right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, but anyway, and then. Uh, Oddly, he helps Aminu to the back. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Which was bizarre, but it's just little <laughs> weird things like that that help you get over. Of course, this was after he declared himself for the G1, which everybody kind of did the math on and, and figured out that that was probably going to happen when he was. I don't know if you listened to the Wade Keller uh, interview um, with, uh, with, with Moxley, the two-parter, but Wade asked him directly, and he kind of – it was just an awkward silence. And he's like, he said something to the effect of, well, if I knew, I wouldn't tell you or something like something, <laughs> right, right. something very Moxley like yeah, he spends the entire interview, you know, spilling his guts and saying everything and then goes, oh, well, I don't know. You know, yeah, that you, 
You uh, caught you'll, him. You'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll find out when the world finds out. Like some shit like that. Right, so right, like right. that kind of revealed it, you know. Plus he had no NEW dates conveniently. Only the shows happening during G1 were the only ones he wasn't booked for. Um so yeah, we all kind of saw it coming, but he made the announcement here. Uh, very exciting stuff. It's going to be a real, we talked about it already, but it's going to be a real interesting G1 with him because, you know, his style will mesh with some guys. It's not going to mesh with others. I guarantee you he has a stinker or two. I guarantee you he knocks it out of the park once or twice. It's just like the deviation with him is going to be wild. Yeah, the, the the good matches are going to be great, and then the bad ones are going to be fucking real bad. You, you know what I mean? Like, and and I guess real bad in the context of they're just gonna like on the G one scale. You know what I mean? Like, what will they right. be like? Truly awful worst match of the year matches? No, but they're gonna be some. He's gonna have a match with you know. I'm just trying to spitball a name that's just like not gonna work. You know whatsoever, Whoever. and it, it, yeah, it, it, there's gonna be guys. There's yeah, Makabe. That's a perfect example where those guys are gonna go out there. They're gonna try something, and it, it, it you know it might work. You know, and honestly, that match might be the best match that Moxley has, and it might be the worst match he has that entire tournament. But that's gonna be the thing with him is just you're not gonna be able to know on a nightly basis what's gonna deliver, what's gonna be good, what's gonna be awful. But uh, as far as this match though, I, I absolutely love this. I, I thought it was a perfect. You know, I I, I talk about. For me, the, the the some of the matches I love the most are ones that don't overstay their welcome, that aren't long just for the sake of we got to go out there and have ten minutes. Like these guys said, hey, four minutes in and out, that's exactly what we need to do. Moxley staggered a little bit, had Aminu get some hope spots, like you said, and then put him away, and that was it. It was like the exact story needed to tell. Well, Aminu didn't look like a total geek, but that Moxley proved that he was way more, way better than him, way more superior. And it's just like, yes, <laughs> again, we talk about pro wrestling being so simple sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't need to be 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes it doesn't need to be a back and forth with a bunch of kickouts. It could just be a four-minute match that tells a perfectly good story. So, And that's exactly what that was. And then him, I, I loved him carrying him out with him because it just sort of lends itself to Moxley just being this complete weirdo that's like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> like, you just wanted to kill this guy, and now you're going to help him to the back. But that's that's kind of what Moxley is, and I love that. It's just like that unpredictability, that weirdness about him that, that that's so cool. And you could tell that this dude is just having the fucking time of his life right now, uh, you know, in, in New Japan. And and I can't wait to see what he does uh, in AEW, too, and we'll talk about it a little bit later with the Fighter Fest. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy who looks like he's just having a fucking ball. So I'm excited to see uh, what's next. The Joe Lanza offer match. Shingo defeats Satoshi Kojima. And this was everything I think everybody wanted it to be. I thought this was awesome. Of course, the big spot that will be burned in my brain until the day I die was when Shingo hit that pumping bomber and Kojima just stonewalled him and no-sold it. And the look on uh, uh, on Shingo's face is he was like, oh, shit. I wanted heavyweights. This is what it's like. To re- this is not Teton. Okay, this is not, uh, you know, Jonathan Gresham. This is a big boy. And uh, the pumping bomber did not work with that barrel chest of Satoshi, that 49-year-old battle-scarred barrel chest of Satoshi Kojima. He just stonewalled him and no-sold him. And if you don't think Joe Lanza was flying off his couch (laughs) at that point, then you don't know nothing about me. But this was great. And Shingo eventually put him away. This was the perfect opponent. We talked about it last week. This is Shingo basically 20 years from now. They're the same human being. They basically wrestle the same style. Um, and, and it's a guy who has just enough respect to where the win means something, but is at the point of his career where he can lose and it doesn't matter. You couldn't have a more perfect opponent. 
What'd you think of this one? Yeah, I really liked it. It was one of those ones again where, where I mentioned these first two matches on the show were ones that like star ratings wise I couldn't go too high on. I couldn't go really nuts on, despite the fact that I really really liked him. And again, another match that I like to use the term didn't overstay its welcome. Eleven minutes was exactly what it needed to be. It did not need to be a twenty minute epic. It didn't need to be a bunch of back and forth. It was just a few, as you said, key spots, key moments that you'll remember and key. You know, Kojima gets his little spot. Kojima's got the arm going. He's got the lyric going. But like, you know, he tries to put Shingo away. He knocks Shingo on his ass. Like Shingo tries to do the pumping bomber can't quite get like just little stuff that you needed quite there and then of course the visual of shingo just eventually putting him away and then grabbing the mic and declaring for the g1 is like it, it's exactly you know this is a guy now who's saying as a junior i'm gonna go into the g1 with heavyweights and you know we don't know what he's gonna do in the tournament we'll, we'll, we'll have to see as we get a little bit closer we'll try to guess it and, and, and figure it out but like he needed a strong win to establish himself as 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 being you know able to get to the g1 and he did that so it's exactly another one that like i can't say it was four and a half stars i can't say it was four and a quarter and all that sort of shit but like it was exactly what it needed to be it was exactly the right story to tell with the exact length that it needed to be as well so just enough time to get the good spots in and and tell the story that you needed to tell without it just dragging on and on and on and on so yeah real real good match again i really like these openers yeah, it was a war. This match was a war. And and he beat a G1 caliber opponent. They didn't put him in there with Yujiro. They didn't put him in there with uh, Hanare. You know what I mean? They put him in there with a guy where the win kind of means something. Right. You know? oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And and, and Kojima, I know on, on, on the, the English side, and I'm sure they did on the Japanese side too, is going over the credentials of Kojima because you wanted to establish that, yeah, Shingo is not just beating some old guy. And it was, you know, the commentary always said, you know, yeah, he's, he's old, but man, he's, you know, Don Cal saying, oh, he's, he, I, I've never seen him look better. Like Cal says that with everybody that he's right, trying to right, put right. over, which I like, but I like that though. It's a nice little thing. He's like, wow, Kojima looks in the best shape I've seen him in, in years. And then, you know, Kevin Kelly talking about, well, you know, this is a man who was at one time both the New Japan and All Japan champion. And yeah, like going over the credentials as the match is going on and that's stuff that's important again like tracing yeah. back to the history and and letting people know that this is not a geek you know he might be old he might be you know, approaching 50 or whatever but this is not a geek like this is this is still the strongest arm man and 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 shingo beating him is a big deal and it is a big stepping stone to now getting into the g1 so uh, i thought it was cool and then yeah we had back-to-back guys declaring for the g1 and both new interesting names in the g1 too and i think that's what i was most excited about after this is it's like after a few years of what felt like kind of stagnation in the g1 it's like already I'm super excited because these two dudes that like I you know so many different matchups that these guys can have maybe not all of them are going to land but you know I, I'm really excited to see both of these guys in there particularly Shingo I mean Jesus the matches and we talked about it last week the amount of matches that Shingo's going to have you know new interesting fun matches and and especially in the G1 in the context of the G1 he's going to kill it man he's going to have an incredible tournament I cannot wait yeah, and then Kenta so it's like <laughs> right guys. Exactly. right oh and also Kenta yeah. and, and and it's so compelling and we'll have a larger discussion about Kenta. Um, you know, later on the show, but what's compelling about that is to see if he can have a career revival. So there's a whole nother angle with him too, but uh, we'll talk about Kenta more at length when we get through the show review. Jushin Thunder Liger and Yoshihashi defeats Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. This is the time of year where Yoshihashi scores a bunch of falls in matches uh, to show that he's G1 caliber, so it looks like he's going to be in it. I was thinking to myself as this match was happening after all these G1 declarations, if Yoshihashi reaches for a mic, somebody please cut it. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's what I was <laughs> thinking during this match. But um, he scored a fall uh, on another show, may have been the uh, Super Junior final show. He scores a fall here. So it's <laughs> like he's going to be in the G1. So that's what know. they're telling you. Because look, they did the same thing with Taka before the Super Juniors. He starts, Taka Mishinoku starts scoring falls. I mean, why? There's no other purpose for that other than to say, this man is primed and ready for the tournament that he's about to be in. So uh, they try to give everybody a little credibility, especially these guys who are going to hardly win any matches. 
Eh, it's a little booking thing. I understand it. I just don't want Yoshihashi in the tournament. But, um, you know, uh, he'll be, he'll have one or two matches where he shows some fire and does his thing, and then the rest will, will be highly forgettable. But they're dragging out the Liger-Suzuki thing. So, you know, it's obviously you're going to have to wait for it now, either King of Pro Wrestling, maybe even beyond. Look, I would not be stunned if they drag it out all the way to the Dome because that's a really good Dome match for Liger to go out on. Um, it seemed crazy because they started this angle like in April. But look, now we're at G1, so now we lose two months. There's two months there. They're not going to do it on a G1 final. Um, I don't think, you know, they could. So then what are their opportunities? King of Pro Wrestling is the obvious spot. And then you've got your uh, instructions. instructions and you've got your uh, power struggle. But you think they would have it on a bigger show than that. So if they don't have it on King of Pro Wrestling, I really think they're stretching it to the dome. Yeah, the, the only problem, the, the one issue I have with that is it just feels like it's clogging Liger up. Like, I, I love this feud. And, and full I like, I want, I cannot wait for this match. But it's just like, I want Liger to have a few different things yeah. you know, over those courses. So it's just like the idea that, like, this is all he's going to do. And this is it. And then he has that match with Suzuki and then he's out. It's like, oh man, like, but but all those months are going to just be anticipating this match and and the build between these two guys. And again, not to say that I'm not loving everything they're doing. I just want to see him against new unique opponents over the next the last few months of his you know his New Japan career. And that's where my worry is. Like, if you if you hold it off to Dome, it's just like ah, geez, like I, it, it just about, it seems like a waste of the last half of uh, of Liger's career or the last half out, of year. This, this is outside the box. How about this? How about Liger Suzuki in Dallas? Ooh. Got to push those tickets. Yeah, I to me, I think that's a match that I think has a little bit more cachet in Japan than it does in America. And that's so weird to say because like both those dudes have so much cachet in America as well. But I think that's something that you you give a reward to the Japanese fans. I think I, I think that one. It, it just to me, it has a little bit more significance happening in Japan than it would. Um, yeah, in America, I, I don't love that. If they did that, I wouldn't like. I wouldn't be against it because I think that crowd would just absolutely eat it up. But I, I think I would prefer to have it happen in, in in japan but uh one thing i did want to mention about this match my my favorite spot of the entire match because it's just yoshihashi being an absolute geek is um so he's in initially at the at the beginning of the match and suzuki and saber are just beating the fuck out of him liger jumps into the ring and just slaps yoshihashi says tag me god damn it tag me and i loved it just yoshihashi's a fucking geek yeah and i yeah. got i loved it liger being like all right all right you've had enough get out of this fucking ring let me do my work here. You're getting your ass kicked. Like you're you're fucking it up for us. Like get in there. It's just I, I just loved it. And then he scores the ball. Now that's course, so. a true geek. That <laughs> right. is a geek. Where dad has to come get you. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> Speaking of which, where's Hiroki Goto? Uh, that's a very good question. The the geek of all geeks is uh is nowhere to be found. Is he hurt? I hope he's not hurt. I really don't hope he's not hurt. Um no, I they're supposedly doing some kind of Twitter angle where he's off in training or something. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he's under a waterfall again. I not mean, all that. Yeah, get out of the waterfalls. Get out. Of, if if the training is he's got a new badass persona and he's ready to fucking turn on chaos and start his own unit, then I'm all in. But uh, he doesn't need a badass new persona. He just needs to be booked to win some matches. He's already a badass. That's what you people all miss about my main man Hiroki Goto. Okay, he is a badass. He just gets booked <laughs> to lose all the time. If he were booked to win. All right, well, now you're being an iconic stand here. I, I understand that the way he's booked is what he what makes him a I'm saying that I hope when he comes back, they 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 figure out something to do with him other than being the fifth best guy in chaos or whatever the fuck he is. You know, it's yeah, they, right. I understand, but I don't think he needs to be repackaged. A lot of people say that, but I think he looks cool. I think his moves are cool. I think he's got cool music. You can get rid of him fucking, you know, 
shaking uh, Okada's hand after he gets hit with a Rainmaker in his video. You could drop that part. But the rest of it, I mean, I don't know. I just think, you know, why you got to pick on Goto? Huh? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you, you made me. You, you made me pick on him. There. I wasn't even going to mention him. But uh, no, I, I just like, I, I would like for him to be awesome, too. I would love for him to just come out and fucking GTR Okada. You know what I mean? Just, just yeah. get in the ring, shake Okada's hand, and just fucking hit him with a GTR. And just say fuck you. <laughs> then you know, that, like that's all I mean. Just a little bit, of, not like a whole new persona. He doesn't have to have, like be wearing black face paint and shit. But just like a new, a little edge to him. He doesn't have to change much about him. Just change the fact that he's just kind of this like, you know, I, I don't want a happy go lucky. You know, happy to be the fifth guy in the unit type guy. I want you know, yeah, be a lot cooler if he just yeah, just yeah, as I said, drops Okada on his fucking neck and says no. Wearing wearing paint didn't work too well last time, but no, as <laughs> well, we I forgot on. about the paint thing. I forgot he's done that too. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, Hiroshi Tanahashi, <sighs> Juice Robinson, and Rusuke Taguchi defeat Chase Owens, who they brought in for this show specifically. Jay White and Taiji Ishimori when when Hiroshi Tanahashi debuted his hot new finisher on Chase Owens the. The botch. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't know. It was really weird. He basically botched and pinned him and pinned him. Um, he looks horrible here, Tanahashi. He, he really did. Yeah, bad. I don't know if he was just exhausted from from. I, I don't know what it was, but yeah, he did not look good. Yeah, and I guess he didn't want to do the high fly flow or either that, <laughs> or they wanted to establish a new finish for him. But something went wrong. I don't know what the fuck it was supposed to be. It looked like one of Hiroki Goto's moves, actually. Now that we bring it up, it, but just poorly executed. And um, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that was. Is this the match that you thought was terrible? Because uh, no, uh, this okay. was the one I thought was terrible. It wasn't good, but I didn't think it was like terrible. It was fine for what okay. it was. Uh, there was enough stuff to kind of sink your teeth into. But I, I'll admit that I don't have any like super strong thoughts about it. Like the yeah. second it was over, it was and one of those matches that you're never, ever, ever, ever going to remember ever again. So well, I'll remember that awful attempt at a finisher. The time did they, did they actually say what it was supposed to be ever, or did anybody ever? Because now uh, I don't remember if I, they were like, "Oh, that's the," uh, or did they just like let it go no, and then the just say English, we don't know what the, the hell he's doing? So the English commentary was really confused, and they tried to cover for it. Obviously, like it was some devastating maneuver, um, and they were just saying things like, "Oh, the finish can come at any time," you know, like <laughs> right, right, so, right. Um, I don't know, but it was really bad. I think I know what you're unless you're one of these people unless you're one of these people who hated the main event and we're going to have to fist fight we'll see. the main event rules. We'll see. Unless you're one of these weirdos that didn't like the main event because the main event was awesome. Then I think I pretty much know the match that you think was awful. So let's move on. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii wins the never title from Taichi in a uh, in a match where they uh, they 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 both channeled the spirit of their mentors at some at one point they were doing Tenru and Kawada spots to each other, and it was a really good match. I thought this was a war, and I think when Taichi limits the bullshit, he's capable of having matches like this. We've seen him do it, and this was another example. So I really like this. In fact, I thought it was a notebook match. I think I went four flat on this one. What'd you think of Tomohiro Ishii's uh, never win over Taichi? Yeah, I was right with you uh, with the four stars. A, a, a match that I really, really did enjoy, and it's it's everything that I wish. And this is the thing that people think that I like irrationally hate Taichi and all that sort of stuff because I come on here and I kind of complain about yeah. him. But the reason I complain about him is because I know he's capable of of having better matches. Like you see one like this, and it's like ah yes, this more like he could get over doing all the same Taichi stuff, 
but limit the bullshit and have matches like this. I think it would really make him that much better, but some people love the shenanigans and all the bullshit and all the crap or whatever, which is fine, but I come on the show and give my opinions, and my opinions are I hate that shit, and I think it's boring, and it it undermines him. If he was some garbage, if he was Yujiro, I, you know, Yujiro, whatever. I, Yujiro sucked, and I didn't care if he did this bullshit that he would do and all that sort of stuff. It's whatever. But Taichi, I know, is capable of being better than he is. So that's the stuff. It's like it's like I'm not mad, I'm disappointed type thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like every time Taichi goes out there and has one of those matches, it's just like, ah, oh, man. But but he's had, an, and I'll admit it full well, 2019 has been a great year for Taichi. When he's put his mind into having these good matches, and matches are structured to be good, this Ichi match, the ones he had with Naito, there's a few other ones throughout the year, he's had good matches like really really good ones and this is another case of it being awesome like it's hard to it's it's nearly at this point impossible to have a bad match with Tomohiro Ishii so you know I won't give him too much credit in that in that sense but I think he was right there with them and I think like you said channeling the Kawada stuff and 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 Ishii doing a little bit more of the tender like it's just like everything kind of worked in this match and it really clicked and, and I'm looking forward to if these guys do have a rematch and have a little bit more time to kind of have something or maybe there's a main event of a G1 show or something like that if Taichi does make it in the G1 this year there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with these guys in a really long type of match if 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 again you get rid of the bullshit and just have these dudes have a war and and, and Taichi is capable of doing that so uh, I really really liked it I think that the thing with Taichi is when he limits it not only does he have better matches but it also then gives it more impact when he does do it because then it's it's not an every match thing you know, and then sure. and, and it's going to garner more heat too, if it's done, if he picks his spots. Whereas, like you're saying, if he was someone who sucked, like Yujiro, you need to do that stuff to get over. If you're Yujiro, you need to do that stuff to get over. If you're Dookie, you know what I mean. But like this guy doesn't need to do that stuff, and then it would have more impact when he does do it. If he if he if he limits his spots. So anyway, this was good. As a side note, people are doing G1 math. With all these people declaring for the G1, Will Ospreay, by the way, declared himself for the G1 in the post-match comments. He didn't do it after his match, but he said he would like to be in it in the post-match comments. I don't know if that means he's going to be in it, but that's four names that really no one was really counting on, you know, 72 hours before this show with Will Ospreay, Moxley, Shingo, and Kenta. Three of them for sure. A lot. Some people thought Will Ospreay would be in it. But so people are doing G1 math and trying to figure out who's not going to be in it. I think Taichi could get be one of the snubs here. It wouldn't stun me. No, someone's got to someone's got to fall, and 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 yeah, he, you know, for better or for worse, might be one of those guys. Like, there's probably a few other names that I would give, but there are some like sort of you're you're Toby well, Makabe is a guy. Like, I would yeah, drop him in a fucking. I would do it right away, but like I understand that if if it came down to those two guys, that they might choose Makabe over or over Taichi. He's a former IWGP champ. Right, right, right. He's enormously popular. Um, you know. The, 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 so yeah they would he's not going to get dropped i'd be surprised if he got dropped with no fanfare put it that way but people have eliminated you know the elgin and the and the elite guys that won't you know that obviously aren't gonna be in it and there's that one spot that people can't figure out and i think if there's a good chance to tell you and that would upset a lot of people but i think taichi's a a, a big contender to be that last guy that that gets knocked mm-hmm. out um you know, he's never been in it. He wasn't in it last year, right? So it's like it's not like they're even pulling him out of it. It's I don't he wasn't in it, right? I don't remember him being in it. Taichi G one, yeah. I think this the, he I don't think he's been in it yet. So I think it'd be worse if he was in it and then 
wasn't in it this year rather than he still hasn't been in his first one. Let me double check that. I don't remember. I, I almost positive he wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking as well. Uh, and, and don't forget as well, you can knock uh, Tamatanga out of there. So uh, that's right. Not coming back by his choice, of course. Not you know, Which is great for a wrestling move, though, to be like, you know what? I'm not doing the cheap one. <laughs> like, you know, three you know damn well. like, you know, guys, I'm going to focus on my tag team. I ain't doing the G1 yeah. this year. Like, you know, in, 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 april he's declaring he's out of the g1 which i love the, the, great for wrestler move there the day he tweeted that <laughs> was the day he found out he wasn't on the yeah, absolutely and that's the preemptive strike to well now i can control the story yeah which is smart i mean that everybody yeah. should do that so i'm not knocking um, him for it I no think it's it great was- great move yeah absolutely great move but I, I just loved it no no g1 for taiji world uh of course new japan cups world tag leagues all that sort of stuff best of the super juniors but never uh Right. Never a G1. So so to me, that's why I think he's going to be ultimately the, the odd man out, you know, because you're not even giving him the indignation of yanking him from it. He was never in it. Anyway. Uh, Can back. I talk real quickly? Never open weight title. Uh, t- uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, go with, ahead. With Tomori Rishi winning now, we've had a lot of guys. We have Jeff Cobb who won it, lost it right away. Taichi won it, lost it right away. Uh, Will Osprey who had the title, but you know, made I think a few defenses with it before him. Kotobushi had it, lost it right away. Goto had it, lost it right away. Taichi had it, lost. It. Like we're 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 due. I think really really due for like. A, a real never open weight title reign that we can kind of sink our teeth into where a guy really goes out there and just has good matches, defends the title. I I hope it's Ishii because I think Ishii is probably do that same title reign as well. I'm worried that that's probably not the plan because they, you know, Ishii's kind of Teflon. You can kind of do whatever. But but are you with me where like I really would love some stability with this title. I'd really love for him to just go out there and just defend this thing for six months, defend this thing for a year, whatever. You know what I mean? Like have the incredible matches that we know, but really sort of establish himself and establish that title again as as, as something that's not just getting bounced around back and forth between guys. I think the last successful defense was the Cow Palace. I think, I think you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. Um. It doesn't bother me as much. It would bother me more if it were the IC or IWGP. I it doesn't bother me as much with this title because I or or, or even the junior title. It would mm-hmm. bother me more. It doesn't bother me as much with this one because I see this as like I don't want to say I don't see it as important. I think it's a, a valuable title, a valuable mid card title. I think it was valuable in helping to establish Willow Spray as a heavyweight threat. I think it's valuable in drawing mid-level houses at times. But I also see it as a title where guys just beat the fuck out of each other and it changes a lot. I don't know. It, it sounds like it doesn't bother me as much as you. Would I like to see a longer run? Of, I'm always in favor of long title runs. But I'm not that fussed about it. If right. Yeah, no, and, and, and normally I wouldn't be, but I just think, like, given where the title's been for a while and now that Ishii has it back, like, if it was anybody else, I wouldn't really care if they lost it. If it was Jeff Cobb won it back from Taiichi, I'd just be like, yeah, whatever, Jeff Cobb can lose it in the next month. I wouldn't really care. But I just, I, I think it's a good time for Ishii to just kind of establish that title and, and, and do some stuff with it. And, you know, I'm looking at successful title defenses. Well, Osprey, he did have two. I had one at RevPro uh, earlier this year and then one against uh, Dalton Castle. Uh, at the Honor Rising show. So there, there is two more recent ones, but again, like you're not going to remember the Chris Brooks or Dalton Castle uh, Will Ospreay title defenses probably. And then you have I to don't go even all the way know, back. I don't even know if the Chris Brooks one is considered canon. Yeah, I have no idea. Per cage match it is, but yeah, I have yeah. no idea. And then before that, you have to go all the way back to uh, Kyle Palace with Goto uh, defeating Cobb. So just like you said, so uh, okay. it, it's it's a while. And then even before that, if you want to go to another one that didn't change, 
Uh, it's Goto defeating Juice Robinson in April of 2018. So we're really looking at, you know, canon. You know, if we're if we're going to count the Chris Brooks one as not get, like three successful title defenses, basically in 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 way over a year, and that that to me is just it, that bounces around a little too much for for a title that I think you can establish as as something a little bit more than that. I listen. I can understand being bothered by it. I'm I'm not knocking you. Um, I'm not particularly fussed by it, but I but I get it. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you because I understand. So what do we have next here? We had, um, okay, I think this might be the match <laughs> that you thought was terrible. Gorillas of Destiny retained the tag team titles against LIJ. I feel like I've seen this match a half a dozen times. I feel like we've said that about these titles a half a dozen times where they just find a match and beat it into the ground. Rich, is this the match that you thought was terrible? I thought this fucking sucked. I hated this match, and I probably hated it a little bit more, like you said. It, if I just if this is the first New Japan show I ever watched, I probably would have thought, eh, this match is okay. But I've seen these two teams a thousand times. I've seen the same match a thousand times. I've seen the same style match a thousand times. And I talk about overstaying your welcome. This one went 17 minutes, and man, it was an excruciating 17 minutes. I just wanted it to end. And knowing what was coming in the next parts of the this, this show, I just was sitting there looking at like, oh my God, please end, please end, please end. Because I knew everything else I was going to probably enjoy at a certain level. And this fucking match just never ended. It just went on and on and on. And then it was bullshit. And then it was just, you know, the girls of destiny retaining. And it's just like, I'm at a point now where I might just start skipping these matches and, and, and going back if they're good. Because it's just, I, I feel like when they're done, I just wasted 17 minutes of my life or wasted 20 minutes of my life. And that's where I was with this one again. I was like, why did I do that? Why did I do that to myself? You know, it's just there was nothing to sink your teeth into, nothing of importance. The crowd didn't give a shit. It's I'm I'm done with this team, and I'm honestly I'm done with this division for a little while too. I think for a long time I wasn't watching these New Japan shows live, uh, just because of life changes and stuff. But I watched this show live, and uh, you know, you know, the entire Voices of Wrestling staff was basically live in the building, which uh, except for me and you, but um, Joel Abraham from the uh, Super J cast had tweeted out. He was standing in the bathroom line during this match. Oh my God. You see the bat. He tweeted out a picture as well. Yeah, I think at the Super J cast uh, Twitter account. Correct. <laughs> Everybody chose this as the, uh, as their, as their intermission. The thing about this match is I thought it was well worked, but that's the only good thing I could say about it because nobody cared. Nobody cared. Uh, no heat whatsoever. And this, there were LIJ members in this match, and nobody cared about this match. The finish was awful. And to me, it's like just a nothing, blah, void of a match. I can't call it a terrible match. You know uh, you know how I am. If, if, if the work is good and people work reasonably hard, which they did, I'm not going to bury a match and call it a terrible match. That's just me. But this had nothing else going for it. God, this was a stain on the show. Um, the least interesting thing on the entire show. And yeah, it felt like it went forever. So um, look, it's, it's we, Rich, how many years? How many years have we been talking about it? This current company, as it's currently constructed and booked, they're never, ever, ever putting effort into these titles. So I don't even worry about it anymore. 
it just is what it is and it's not going to change right people don't even complain about it anymore have you noticed that too like when 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 yeah you know four years ago three years ago two even two years ago people would oh this is bullshit or oh that's garbage or this team and that team and yet people don't even care anymore man like these matches happen and they exist and they're done and nobody complains nobody talks about them. they just they, they barely exist at this point like i don't nobody's got hot takes on them it's just like you forget that these matches even exist you forget these titles exist you forget sometimes that these wrestlers exist when these shows go on because they're just they're especially on a show like this that was loaded with like real cool stories a return which we're talking about here in a sec like some fun matches some crazy matches some controversial matches then you have this thing just lumped in the middle and no i i didn't see a single tweet about it I don't even recall what anybody else saw of this match. It just it, well, it basically people, didn't exist. People shit on the match. What people aren't shitting on anymore is the usage of the titles and how they booked the division. Because it's like it'd Why be bother? like yeah, it's you're you're fighting against you know you're fighting upstream. There's there's no point in even fighting it anymore. It'd be like screaming at Giant Baba in 1991 to do something with the juniors. It's it's not going to happen. You know, it it's. Some companies emphasize certain things and they just don't emphasize others. These bookers do not believe in the tag team titles anywhere higher than like fourth from the top. I don't think I've maybe on like when there were three destruction shows or something, maybe one of them snuck into the semi-main event slot. Maybe. But on a real full show like this, it's these titles are never mm-hmm. going to be higher than fourth or fifth from the top. That's just the belief that the current regime has in the division and I'm wasting my time even now. Yeah. We've talked about it for too long. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, many years ago, I, I had the idea of, of doing the old school, like the Baba style thing where like, if you got two, Big time guys that aren't doing anything, just throw them in a tag team, maybe have them go for the title run, like have them win one of the titles randomly. And, they, and they've done that a few times. Like we had the Goto Okada match. What was that? I think last year, I want to say that they, they had a, uh, a fun man and it was good it was like exciting it was like hey the tag division and then it just went away again and now it's yeah, it went away yeah, yeah. And it's back to the same old shit and it's like they you you see the sign sometimes but like you said there's no point in fighting it anymore because it's just never gonna fucking happen that's just they don't well, care ba- well, well baba would use the tag team titles to draw so he wouldn't have to keep burning off his singles matches right. so he pushed all the big stars and tags and the the lesser member the pin eater the the whatever you want to call it of the team would usually take the falls and then he would build up his stars through the tags you'd finally score a big scalp in a tag match before you would beat a guy in a singles the way that gato and jado do it is they don't build guys in tags they build them with the other titles they build you up through the never they build you up through the junior title that's how they elevate guys with other with the with the secondary singles belts Whereas Baba built guys through the tags. So it's it's really the same idea, just a different way of getting there. And that's just the philosophy of these two guys. And it's 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 apparent that it's never going to change. And it was David Bixenspan who probably brought it up first, but it's a tremendous point. It's fucking wild that two guys who made their entire <laughs> career as a tag team don't give a fuck about tag teams. It's crazy. You know, and, and you know the, the reason that they're in this position is because they were such a great tag team. Right. It's like hiring Ted Williams card. as your manager and him being like, ah, who cares about hitting? That's all about pitch. Like, let's focus right. on the pitching. Let's focus on the pitching. And it's like, no, Ted, like, <laughs> you're yeah. a hitter. Like, why would you not care about the tag team? It's just, yeah, I don't understand. Like, the, I, of any guy that you would think a, a Booker that would appreciate and 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 honor and and do all he could to make tag team wrestling great, 
would be Gato, and he just fucking doesn't care about it at all. Like it's just the least favorite thing to him. Is you can tell, like you see all the you see the creative booking that goes up and down the cards. We talk about all the time and the stuff that really works and stuff that's got little pieces and little nuggets here and there. And like, and then the tag match, you can tell he's just like, ah, fuck it, uh, I don't know, God. L-I-J, doesn't care it. like, no that, like you can tell it's the last thing on his mind oh yeah all right uh yeah fuck it who cares like just that's say what do we do last month yeah i'll do that again <laughs> it's like and all it's right, really it's, it's it's where your career goes to die too because no one ever gets elevated out of that division again right. you, you get elevated when you win the never title or you have a feud over the ic title or you win the junior title more recently that's where your elevations come from um not out of the tags so yeah i i can't call it a terrible match i'm not as down on it as you are but it certainly wasn't interesting in any regard whatsoever and to me was the low point of the show now let's get into the meat and the business end of this willow spray wins the iwgp junior title over dragon lee uh to me this was a perfect example of a super hot super awesome high level spot fest and there's nothing wrong with that i think um this was not the didn't tell quite the same stories that the shingo match told but i thought it was every bit as good because i thought these guys did a bunch of insane shit they pulled it all off um they won the crowd over and it's willow spray and dragon lee both at the top of their game um, going through a bunch of wild spots. I don't know how you can't enjoy that on some level. What'd you think of this? No, I fucking loved it. I, I didn't love it as much as the Shingo will, because like you said, there wasn't, there wasn't those moments. There wasn't those scenes. There wasn't those things that you can kind of go like, Oh man, like there's like, it, that was a match. And, and we talked about it last week that the Osprey Shingo was an important match and the careers and the lives of both those guys. And, and, the, and the, what's going to happen in the next few years in new Japan was, was largely, you know, result of that match and yada, yada all that sort of stuff. Whereas this was just 20, minutes of dudes doing cool shit and it's like you know at at some level like it was i think maybe the the some of the spots i think better than i than than the the osprey shingo match like some things that happened in this match i liked a lot more but all in all as a match itself i liked it a little bit less because like you said there wasn't that importance there wasn't that sort of story being told with it but it was at the end of the day it was like two dudes having 20 minutes of really cool shit and some incredible spots too dragonly doing that that suicide dive through Will Ospreay, knocking out Milano. I mean, God, I watched that replay like a thousand times watching that. It was one of my favorite spots I, I've ever seen. I thought it was just awesome to see. Uh, but but yeah, I, like, I, I'll grade it a little bit lower than Ospreay and Shingo, but I still went four and a quarter with this. I uh, really considered doing four and a half with it as well. But um, no, really, really good stuff here. And and such a, what a contrast between the match prior. This one went 20 minutes. That one went 16 minutes. And and when you, like, think about that. Four minutes longer this match went. <laughs> and, did it feel in any way near what that other one felt like? I mean, the other one felt like such a fucking slog, and this one was the quickest 20 minutes I've ever seen in my life. But again, credit, I, I gotta give all the credit. I mean, Dragon Lee was awesome in this match, but credit again to Will Ospreay for having two just spectacular matches within days of each other. And 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 you could have, you, I would have given him all the pass in the world to just go out there and have just a, a match where he does a little bit more of his slugging, a little bit more of his ground game, a little bit more of that stuff, and let Dragon Lee do all the flying and just maybe be the base and, and do all the, No, it's Will Ospreay just doing the same shit that he ever does, you know, does a fucking you know <laughs> dragon lee tries to do a you know reverse ronnie lands on his legs you know what i mean like just stuff like that where it's just like dude this guy is unbreakable right now and, and just on an unbelievable tear right now will osprey i mean if he is not your wrestler of the year or, or you know having the best matches of, of anybody in the world right now I, I i just don't know who the other contender would be he's 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 on another level right now and this is just another uh, feather in his cap he's the best wrestler in the world right now he's the wrestler of the year right now going away i think he blew past kento miyahara um, when you consider this tournament and this match here with um, with Dragon Lee, 
and it's uh, it's his award to lose. And if he's in the G one, no one's catching him because if he's in the G one, I mean, he's Will Ospreay. He's gonna have five, six great matches, and that you know he's gonna go out there with every intention to steal the show every night. He's gonna have five, six great matches minimum if he's in a G one, and then at that point, how are you catching this man with the New Japan Cup he had? Remember that Lance Archer match? I mean, oh yeah, geez. I mean yeah. There's like, I mean, the, the, and then the body count of Will Ospreay this year is insane. Like, and then the best, of super, the best of Super Junior, where every single match was four stars or better, and then this title match, and then I haven't even seen the the progress tags that everybody's talking about. Then the band, the, you know, the Bandito matches, uh, the match with a kid that everybody forgets about, where you know, where where those guys had a match of the year contender. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know, it's like this guy's um resume is just disgusting. The Pac match, which wasn't at the level of some of the ones we're talking about, but another great four star plus match. It just this was marred by the finish because Pac won't, you know, isn't doing the clean finishes. Um, you know, is his it's just it if he's in the G one, no one's catching him. If he's not in the G1, you know, all bets are off because someone always emerges a G1 season and has a killer G1 and then has a great match at King of Pro Wrestling or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, his resume will just be way too deep. And even someone like Kento Miyahara, who I think is having the best year of his career, Rich, he won't have the resume depth because how many he'll have the carnival and whatever title defenses he has. And, you know, he'll still be. You know, if volume matters to you, if Will is in the G1, no one's catching him unless he fucking has a wet fart G1, which is not happening. This is the wrestler who's incapable at this point of having bad matches. I mean, when's the last time he had a bad match? I mean, at worst, it's like, ah, three and three quarters. You know, this one wasn't great, but he's never has a bad match. I mean, if he's in the G1, forget it. No one's catching him. Yeah, I mean, his, I, his, his match guide on cage match is just insane. <laughs> like it's scrolling to 2019. I mean, he's got 30 matches listed in, in the 2019 match guide. Just there, which 2019. Means, yeah, just 2019, which means, of course, yeah. it's getting votes and it's above a certain level in the ratings and it's got a Wrestling Observer, you know, rating Correct. onto it. Which, you know, again, you can argue with whatever, but like 30 matches. <laughs> Like that's some people that a, that that a, a handful of people think is like next level good. Uh, yeah, it's just it's not. Let, let me go. Th- look, there's the Kota Ibushi match that we didn't even mention in the Tokyo. <laughs> right, which you start off the year with, yeah. Which which, awesome. which might be which might be his best <laughs> match. Period. You know that we didn't even bring up when we were bringing up um, all of these other ones. What about the Jay White match? Remember the one uh, the what Jay was White that? match uh, at the, the anniversary, anniversary show. Yeah, the anniversary show. Yeah, the Jay White match, the anniversary show. Uh, so there's even more that we haven't even uh, discussed right here in this little informal conversation um, that he's had going through. So it's just the resume is way too deep. So if he's in the G1, I don't see any way that anyone else can catch him. Because well, yeah, and that's an, also an unprecedented like to do best of the super juniors and be good in all of them, and then do G one and and obviously barring injury, probably do pretty well in all of those matches as well. I mean that nobody has that sort of resume ever. You know what I mean? Like that that's almost like an unbeatable. Yeah, yeah. It, it, if he doesn't get hurt or whatever, like like who else has the opportunity to have that many great top level matches? I mean, that's what I mean. The, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's the depth of the resume. I mean, even the you'd Jeff have to be a, match. you'd have to be a WWE main roster guy that goes out there every single fucking week in singles matches Correct. and just kills it. Like that. That's the only person. Like if Ricochet was like. 
that you know, or whoever, whoever you want to say, like uh, Seth Rollins, Roman, it could be anybody goes out there and every single fucking week on Monday Night Raw goes out there and has killer matches, and at the end of the year can accumulate you know fifty matches that that are 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 you know in your notebook or whatever like that. Those people could have a resume, but no one else is going to have that resume. Nobody else is going to have the opportunity to have that many top level singles matches. It's nuts, and, and nobody in WWE is doing that. And and that's the problem. So um, if he's in the G1, no one's catching him. As we move on to the Intercontinental title match, Tetsuya Naito wins the white belt from Kota Ibushi. My feeling here is that means Ibushi's winning the G1 and facing Okada in the Dome. We can talk about that after we talk about the match. Um, I really felt like the loser here would be the favorite to win the G1. I am on that team. I know that's not like a unique thought. That's what a lot of people think, but I, I mentioned it last week. I thought I, I was starting to get a feeling that Abushi was the favorite for the G1, and him losing this cements that for me. We'll get your thoughts in a second. Naito defeats Abushi for the Intercontinental title. Absolutely bonkers match. These guys continue. Look, you put look. I they can wrestle five more times this year. I don't care. I'm never going to get sick of this. There's another great match. Of course, everybody's talking about the apron bump that went awry. I am not worked up by it. Um, if, if if I felt they did the spot on purpose, I might be worked up by it. But I think it was a spot that went awry. I think that it was either one of two things. A German meant to land on the apron, or more likely, a German meant to where I think Naito was trying to flip him off the apron, and Abushi was either going to land on his stomach on the floor or like uh, take a flat back bump on the floor. And I think that they just didn't, they miscalculated and they clipped his head. And then you had the gruesome looking, uh, um, you know, neck bending over to the side there. But I don't think they were trying for that bump on purpose. So I'm not wound up about it. We've, we've talked about this a million times, Rich. It's pro wrestling. It's dangerous. People are going to get hurt. Um, if we live long enough, we're probably going to see someone die in a ring again, unfortunately. Not that I want to see that, but it's just inherently part of the game. I think that auto racing, pro football, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, and pro wrestling are very stupid things that grown men and, and grown women choose to do as occupations that are very bad for their bodies, but they are adults. And if that's what they want to do, if they, I, would, I would not partake in any of those activities myself, uh, but if that's what they want to do, and if they want to take crazy bumps, good on them. It's their business. Um, I don't feel any guilt or remorse when I watch pro wrestling. Uh, I don't care what anybody thinks about that statement. If you don't like it, don't listen to the show. That's where I stand. That's where I've stood for years. I feel no guilt, no remorse. I, that doesn't mean I want to see people get hurt. It doesn't mean I don't feel bad when people get hurt. It just means I'm, I'm not guilty about my hobby. And I know what it is and I understand what it is and I'm not a hypocrite. And quite honestly, I think if you are worked up about these bumps and out there whining and moaning about them, I think you're the hypocrite if you keep watching. If you don't like this, don't watch New Japan anymore. Don't watch Tetsuya Naito matches. Don't watch Kota Ibushi matches. Don't buy a ticket to a Kota Ibushi show. Don't buy a ticket when Tetsuya Naito wrestles. He always wrestles this style. Cancel your New, World, New Japan World subscription. I won't begrudge you. I would understand that. I think that's you know making a statement, saying I, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable for me. I, I don't want people to continue to push themselves until someone does die in a ring or until someone does get paralyzed in a ring or until someone's career ends again. I, I'm not saying that you're wrong if you take that stance. But I may be a monster, 
but I'm not a hypocrite. I know what I'm watching when I watch it. I understand what I'm watching. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's wrestling is inherently dangerous. If you don't think wrestling, if you don't want wrestling to be dangerous, the only safe wrestling is grapple fuck with no bumps. Any other wrestling is going to be dangerous. Um, you know, and if you want to make the argument that they can limit the dangers, go ahead. I'm never making that argument. These are adults who make decisions about their own bodies. And quite frankly, and I say this every time we have this discussion and every time this flares up, I am stunned at the lack of injuries in pro wrestling. So um, I am not worked up about it. I think if that bump didn't go awry on the apron, no one would be talking about the bumps in this match because there were a couple more that were, but but people were then focusing on the rest of the bumps in the match after this bump. So I think this one spot that went awry and, you know, do I think they're in here? We always say this too, Rich. Do I think they're fucking morons for attempting that spot? Yes, I do. I do. But I know what I'm watching. I know what I'm getting into, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to stand here and soapbox about it and talk about, oh, I hope they never do this stuff. I'm not going to sit here and do that. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I wasn't entertained because I was. I did think it was a great match. And I'm not ashamed to say it. And I'm going to keep saying it. They went out there and had a match that entertained me and had me popping off my couch. And again, if it makes me a monster, so be it. I'll live with that. I will sleep well. I'm not bothered by that. Okay. They went out there to entertain me and they did. And uh, maybe there's a line that can be crossed someday with Joe Lanza. These guys have yet to cross it. Rich, you have the floor. Yeah. No, and, and, and we've talked about this many times. We talk about this anytime there's one of these matches that everybody, as you said, get up on their soapbox and screams about, oh, they uh, unbelievable. I can't believe they're doing this. Yada, yada, yada. I, the way I look at it is, and I truly believe this, and I, I believe it with football and I believe it with anything else, that if as long as people have the information and know that what they're doing is risky, and no, same thing with smoking. If you want to smoke cigarettes, knock yourself out. You know, now everybody in 2019 that starts smoking knows goddamn well they're they might get cancer from it. They know how dangerous it is. And if they still choose to do it, that's fine. That's on them. They can decide what to do with their bodies. They can decide to do whatever they want with their free time as long as they're not affecting or hurting others. And that's where I'm at with this. You know, if, if Kotobushi wants to land on his neck in a wrestling match and that's how he wants to tell his story and tell his art and do his wrestling, then who am I to tell him that he can't do that? He can tell himself what he wants to do. He is the only person that that has any obligation to his body, N- not a bunch of people on Twitter screaming and, and and writing think pieces and all that sort of stuff and yelling about it and and all that sort of stuff. You know, it it, it it's it's just to me, it's gotten so old and so yeah. I, I don't want to see guys die in the ring. I of course I don't want to see that, but if if these guys know full well the risk that they're taking and, and the risk they're taking is every fucking time they walk through the ropes is they're taking a risk and and we've talked about that a lot of times too. People ignore. The, the dangers of flat back bumps. They ignore the dangers of, of air travel after concussions and all that sort of stuff. But then they see, you know, a verse Rana and then, Oh my God, the neck. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh God damn. And there's so many more dangerous things that could done, you know, in and around wrestling, <laughs> you know, for years and years and years, what was happening after the matches was way more dangerous than anything that happened in the matches. And still to this day, there's stuff that, that occurs on a normal wrestling match just a, a basic wrestling match. That's as dangerous as anything that's going on in this match as well. So yeah, the soapbox stuff, it, it's all just grandstanding for likes and, backpats and all that sort of stuff so i just don't get worked up about it anymore but yeah i it's just if these guys want to do this 
then I don't, I'm out again. They are no under no obligation to, to appease you random person that screams about it on Twitter. They're, they're only, if this is how Kota Bushi wants to tell a story, if this is how Naito wants to tell a story, then that, then that's on them. That, that is their bodies, their heads, their necks, their, it, it's them. And, and, and I'm not going to sit here and tell them what they should do and how they should wrestle. Cause you know, that that's, you know, what I can do is not watch if I'm uncomfortable with it, or I don't like it. Like you said, I'll, I'll cancel my new Japan world and I'll stop watching. Like I, I find myself, more and more these days being uncomfortable watching football, even though, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm fine with people playing if they know the risks or whatever, but I find myself every time a big hit happens going, Oh man, oh, Jesus Christ. And guess what I do? I don't watch football anymore. I used to be one of the biggest football fans ever. You know, that's how you and I know each other is, is based off football and football, and football yeah. video games and stuff. I don't watch football anymore. Cause I just don't find my, I, I, I can't, I see stuff happen during a game and I just grimace and I go, ah, you know, it's just, it, it's too much. For so me right football now. crossed that line for you. And then you put your money where your mouth is. Right. And I just don't, watch it anymore i don't consume football anymore i don't play fantasy football i don't buy Madden. i just i, I don't watch football anymore because i'm kind of over it. wrestling hasn't crossed that line for me and, and and if it does that's fine like i get it if you think that that is that, that this match and, and that spot in particular crossed the line for you and you don't want to see these guys do this anymore and whatnot then you know then maybe it's you that needs to stop watching maybe you need to stop enabling them and doing all that sort of stuff maybe it's on you because these guys have proven they're probably not going to change and this is the story that they want to tell and this is how they want to apply their craft and when this was dover i said this match was fucking good i like this match a lot and and i'm not going to feel bad for that so uh, yeah that's that I, I hope we never have to have these discussions again oh well rich we're gonna have it a dozen i know I know we have it every time because it has to be addressed because there's an elephant in the room. We can't ignore the topic. So, you know, every few, every year or so, you know, we're going to have this one. And the thing about it is you can, you can botch in a wrestling match doing almost anything. Any kind of bump can be botched. And if you look at the history of the devastating botches where there were horrible tragedies where people were either paralyzed or died, it was usually, it's not moves like this. It's innocuous stuff like D'Lo Brown powerbombing draws or Oro doing a dive in Mexico. How many dives are there on any given Friday night in Mexico right. on Lucha shows? And Oro, you know, a dive goes awry and he cracks his, his head open and, and, and unfortunately he dies. Shibata delivering an elbow drop from the top rope on that young lion whose name is escaping me. These are in some of the worst tragedies. Almost all of the worst tragedies were on innocuous moves, common moves. You see them on pile drivers, you know, whether it was uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin breaking his neck or, you know, uh, BJ Whitmer, uh, the bad pile driver a couple years ago. It's almost never on German suplex off the apron to the floor with a guy. It's it's almost never on these these wild spots. Dragon suplexes off of the top rope. Bad you know bad bad you know bad bumps and botches can happen on even the most innocuous moves. You know and 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 that's the thing. That's why to me I can't get worked up about this other stuff. Right, right. And and, and people and, could and say, I, oh, well, it's it, it's building up and it's building up and it's building and I up. Get but, that. Again, but but these men are aware of that. Exactly. They know goddamn well what they're doing. And they you don't know think Tetsuya the Naito thinks that landing on his neck sometimes is going to eventually hurt his neck down the line. He fucking knows. But that's what he wants to do with his body. And I don't. These care. guys know full well that by the time they're forty-five, they could be like Great Muda, barely able to move. And I know with him, it's his knees. I get it. But you get the idea. Okay, these guys are all aware of that. So it's, it's you know, that's why I can't get worked. If they're, here's the thing. Like I said, put your money where your mouth is. Cancel your New Japan World subscription. Don't buy a ticket. Don't follow the company. Don't promote the company. Don't tweet about it. Don't talk about it. Don't watch it. Go watch, uh, you know, 
promotions that you feel good luck finding one, but go watch promotions that you think are safe. And and there can be botches and 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 screwed up bumps just as easily on on the family indie show at the VFW hall down the street next weekend in your town where you know it, they where they take two bumps a match. One of those two bumps can go awry in the same thing and you can end up with the same end result. And like Rich is saying, it's the repeated flat back bumps that are giving people the little mini concussions that we've learned this from hockey and football. That's where the real damage is coming from. You know, and, and so if these guys want to destroy their necks and mutilate their necks, again, I don't, I don't, would never do it. And I don't need it. That's the other thing. I don't need it either. But if they're going to do it and it entertains me, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it didn't entertain me. That you're not getting from me. Right, right. And 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 one thing too is I, I always I, I always see a lot of like people saying, oh well, the referee should have stopped the match or that yada yada. Okay. <laughs> he I, he obviously goes down to Kotobushi after that spot. Like it's not like he went down the, the Kotobushi falls on his face in that spot and the ref just rolls into the ring and, and they just grab Abushi by his neck and toss him back in the ring. You see the ref go over, you see Naito go over, and 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 just like any wrestling match that ever happens. They ask, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, yeah, I'm fine. Just give me a little bit of time. That's usually the thing. It's like, yeah, give me a little bit of time, or yeah, I'm all right, yeah, or whatever. Like, if he truly, if, if Bushi said, I can't feel my neck, or oh, I can't feel my body, do you really think Red Shoes is just like, well, too bad, get the fuck back in there, and Naito's like, all right, let's go. Like, come on, get out of here with this, like, oh, they should stop the match right away, or oh, they should do this, or whatever. They would if there was a serious injury, but if Go to Bushi says, nah, I'm good, just give me a second, like, you know And that's what? the thing, and that's the thing, he's fine. He's got a black eye. And that was He's from later, and that eye. was from an innocuous spot later in the match. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton said they talked to him that night, and he was fine. So it's like, okay, I get, you know, maybe stop the match as a precaution, but it, he, he ended up being fine. You know, it, 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 it probably looked worse than it was. No, not probably. It looked worse than it was because it looked like he was dead. And it turned out he was fine 10 seconds later running through complicated spots and everything else. He probably didn't even get a concussion off of that. It just looked really ugly. I don't know. It's, it's, it's whatever. Look, this is a great match. Okay. That's the bottom line. Um, so just to continue to turn myself into a monster, I went well over four and a half. Cause it was an awesome match. And again, I can watch these guys wrestle all day long. Um, if they're in the same G one block, I wouldn't even have a problem with that. But, um, Anything else to add about Naito Abushi? Uh, I will say this. <laughs> actually, it's interesting. I went on this big rant. I didn't like this as much as some of their other matches they've had this year. I, I actually only went four. I think I went four and a quarter with it, or maybe four. I have to check exactly what my rating was. Uh, I just thought, like, other than big spots, there wasn't a whole lot that I really loved uh, in between. I thought it was pretty cool to see the uh, Naito and Osaka, but that was kind of cool. But I think these guys have had better matches, and I think they'll have better matches. So with all this in sort of insanity and all this kind of nuts, you know, all, all about this, like, it's still... It was a match that, like, you know, when I when I grade, like, I, I like matches that had a little bit better than, than this, and I think they're capable of having a better match as well. But you know, still, I I enjoyed it, and and I'm not going to feel bad about enjoying it. So. Anyway, let's move on to the main event: Okada versus Jericho. Uh, Okada retains the title. Uh, bizarre finish here. Uh, he just sits straight down on Jericho. They repeated one of the Okada Omega finishes from last year on the same show. That was the idea there. This is the second straight Jericho match that had a bit of a bizarre finish uh, on the uh, 
Double or Nothing show. He won with the uh, introducing the Judas Elbow, which also felt like it came out of nowhere because people weren't aware that that was his finish yet. So Jericho is kind of establishing this thing where his matches can end at any time and completely out of nowhere. We'll get to the finish um, in a minute because I think that's where the interesting conversation is. The rest of the match, though, I thought um, was awesome. Uh, this was Chris Jericho taking Okada out of his comfort zone. This was not an Okada match. This was Jericho beating the shit out of Okada. Uh, so many little things that Jericho does. When Okada does the cocky rope break early in the match, Jericho pokes him in the eyes with the double finger poke straight out of 1970s wrestling. Then later on in the match, Okada uh, is doing his running jump over the guardrail spot, and Jericho hits the um, uh, code breaker. Which, which I've never seen it countered in that manner out on the floor. Uh, Jericho's little things like the eye gouges and the eye pokes and the dirty tactics and, you know, beating them up on the outside of the ring. This was like, you know, Okada hasn't taken a beating like this since the Tenru match. And the Tenru match, he had to take that beating to save the match. Basically to save the match because Tenru just couldn't go. He told Tenru, just beat the shit out of me and, and bruise me up and pound my face. And that's how he ended up saving that uh, now very memorable match. This match, he just took a straight-up beating from Chris Jericho to likes he hasn't taken since that Tenru match. And I thought this was all very awesome and very interesting. And uh, I dig all of the Jericho stuff. I know not everybody does. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know if I'm setting you up or knocking it. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> but I'm telling you that I dig the Jericho stuff. It's still over with me. Um, and, and I think it feels completely different than anything else you see on a New Japan show. There's been so much variety in these New Japan matches uh, over the last two big shows between this and the Super Junior show. And uh, I was way into this. And uh, the finish, I liked the finish, but I conceded it came off flat. Um, but I think they had a good idea on paper that just fucking was a wet fart in the building. So that's my take on the finish. And I thought the post-match stuff was just Jericho brilliance and, um, you know, and, and as far as the fans booing at the end because they didn't get their um, end of show speech, again, brilliant work by Jericho, denying them that. And they're going to hate him that much more for it. So I thought all the post-match stuff was uh, tremendous. What would you think of this? All right. So I thought the match itself was really good. I liked the match a lot. I thought Jericho's work in it was pretty good. He obviously, you know, you have to work at a little slower pace uh, with Jericho these days because he's, you know, he's 75% vodka at this point. So uh, he does move a little slower. He is a little bit more kind of brawly and whatnot, but I thought Okada worked at a good pace with him. I think they 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 structured everything pretty well. And I was into this. I mean, I was into the back and forths. You know, Jericho had a few hope spots here and there that that got pretty close. These 2.9s that I was like, oh boy, <laughs> like he might actually, and we talked about it the last week, that there was like at least a, not, a less you know more than zero percent chance that he could possibly uh win the title there so i bid on a few of the near falls and then okada started getting his comeback and the crowd got into it and the crowd got into it and the crowd got into it and then the finish was, was just the biggest wet fart in the world because and i know I'm, I'm fine with a match finishing out of nowhere but it just for whatever reason that finish just felt like I don't, it just, I, it just didn't work. You can tell the crowd was kind of taken aback. They kind of assumed that there was like a fuck up there that maybe red shoes counted through and he wasn't supposed to. I just think they've done so many years of, of, of untraining fans about finishes out of nowhere that when you do a finish out of nowhere like this, and, and I'm one of them as well, where, you know, this just came so out of nowhere and so out of left field and just had no build up to it that it just felt like an absolute deflating way to finish a match that I thought was really, really good. So it's one of these ones where like, I, I went four stars at the match because I really did enjoy it. 
and I probably have been a lot more, but man, the finish. It's one of those finishes that really does sort of sour you on the match itself because everything up until that point was really good, but it was like as wet farty of a wet fart of a finish as you're ever going to see. Yeah, it's it's something that, like I said, that I liked that I that did not get over. It absolutely did not get over. I liked it because it was a callback, number one, and number two, it's it, it was it – was, like the rest of the match, something completely different that Okada has never done. Like you're waiting for that closing stretch and they didn't give it to you because they just did something totally different than Okada has ever done before. And it's like, and I agree with you. Fans have been trained, especially in new Japan and especially in a new Japan main event to wait around for that closing stretch. And that's why they were all caught off guard. But maybe between this and the Tanahashi finish with Chase Owens, and I think they did one other wacky finish like this on, on another recent show um, without the uh, traditional closing stretch. You know, may, uh, you know, may, you know, I guess Moxley Juice Robinson was a very different kind of match than New Japan usually does. You know, maybe these are good things in that, okay, maybe these finishes have to be sacrificed because they're not, not going to get over. But now fans will be paying a little more attention. You know, uh, once a match hits the fifth, oh, the Jay White, Jay White Okada finish at the, at uh, in the Tokyo Dome was right. another one that was very similar to to where it just came out of nowhere and and the difference with the Jay White finishes out of nowhere is he he hits his finish he hits the switchblade so it, the switchblade comes out of nowhere but people are ready for the three count once he hits it they're not just ready they're just not ready for the switchblade when it comes that's the subtle difference there but still. You don't get those traditional closing stretches with White either, except for MSG. And MSG, they did do it. So, you know, I, that's why I liked it while conceding that it didn't get over. Yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long training if that's what you're gonna kind of have happen. And and like New Japan was 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 built on that. Like you watch old New Japan matches, or even God, a lot of old you know all Japan before uh, really the the, the pillars started kind of taking off. And that's that's what wrestling was predicated on. It's just like these finishes happening out of nowhere, like things that would just yeah. sort of like and 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 I get it. Then people sort of were always ready for it. And it, it it makes matches more fun when that happens because then every minute of the match people are excited to say, okay, we could end right here, it could end right here. Right, the right, problem right. was this this felt and it was it was wrestled to a traditional wrestling structure and then 25 minutes in he just finishes them out of nowhere and it just kind of i don't know it was one of those weird nwa used to do these all the time too where it'd be like flair would have like you know a 30 minute match with some guy and then just roll off and pin him and it was like all right cool and that but then it worked like in that era it worked because fans were ready for it nobody was ready for it to happen here maybe there will be ready in a year time if they do this a little bit more but i tend to think that they're probably not going to do this all that many more times and it might only be something that happens you know like you said a few times that it happens but you know maybe it's a good thing that we're kind of retraining fans again that these finishes could happen out of nowhere i think the also part two the, the, the thing that i just didn't love about this one too is is the way that it was out of nowhere it just i, I don't know it just felt too out of nowhere does that make yeah. sense yeah i know i listen i get it i know because i had the same feeling like, whoa where did that come from but then when it sunk in i was like oh i that was kind of cool i dug that and then i was like but no one in that crowd is is enjoying this they like you said i think many people were questioning whether it was a mistake because we actually saw a couple finishes like that in the super junior tournament where the referee called it like a shoot it happened to teton twice so it's like fans have just just recently saw two finishes that weren't supposed to happen and I think that may have gone through their mind. They were so shocked by this that they thought it wasn't even supposed to happen, which is not the reaction you want. Uh, but look, the bottom line here is no matter what, people are going to complain. 
They complain about New Japan matches that have, you know, the big closing stretch at the end. Oh, you don't have to pay attention until the closing stretch. Then you get some matches that aren't that, and people complain, oh, that finish was flat. It came out of – no matter what, people are going to complain. That's yeah. the one thing that's constant. But, uh, but yeah, this, this one fell flat with the crowd. Everything else, though, um, seemed to work. And, uh, you know, Jericho has this grimy – you know, lucha brawler thing down to a science at this point. And he's way too smart to not be able to stay over either, even with losses and everything else, which we talked about at the top, and I'm not going to repeat. But uh, but as an overall package, despite the fact that the finish came off flat, I really like this. And this was, uh, you know, a low-end notebook match, four, four and a quarter, somewhere in that range, three and three quarters, somewhere in there. Um Where'd you land on it? Uh, it I think I went four. Yeah, I went four with it because I really, really, really like the match itself. It's just, yeah, the finish. You can't go any higher when the finish comes off that. Right, exactly. Right, right. You cannot. You know, but but it but the rest of the match I thought, you know, was excellent and and pretty much exactly what I wanted. Dominion. And we want to talk about a little more detail. Kenta showing up at Dominion. We had actually, I think we said last week that um it was getting pretty close to a lock that he was going to um, eventually end up in New Japan. And we had said months ago when he initially left WWE that um, we felt the favorite um, in terms of the destination, the landing point was going to be New Japan. I know at least I felt that way. I don't quite remember. I was, so I was weirdly like, I think I had 51% no, like 49% yeah, yeah. New Japan or something like that. I just, I, I we'll get to it when we get to it. I just, I, I, felt that there was just going to be some sort of pull to me. I was always like, I don't understand why WWE would let him go if they didn't think that he was going to go someplace that wasn't going to be a threat to them. But I assume that maybe they just thought so little of him that they just said, fuck it, man, just go. Who cares? Like, and I guess that's what I found out now afterwards is because they didn't give a shit if he's going to waltz in new Japan and he, or they didn't even care to ask her. I don't know what it, the, the details were, but I think that took me aback. And that's always why I thought Noah was, was the leader, but very slim. The leader is because I really just felt that WWE would not have let him go if they thought he was going to New Japan and if they didn't know that maybe he was going someplace that wasn't a threat to them. So, yeah, that, that's well, sort of what informed my decision there. But he could have also <laughs> said, yeah, I'm going to Noah, and then said, ah, fuck it, I'm going to New Japan, bye. Right, he could have hustled them, or it's weird. I mean, they let the 10 guy go, too, and everyone knew he was going right to AEW. Yeah. So it could just, it, look, they let some of them go, they don't let, I don't understand. You know, it's like, do they think, like, Okay, maybe they thought so little of Kenta and Tengai, which would make sense because neither one of those guys were going anywhere in that company. But then you look at someone like Luke Harper. Right. He's not they going anywhere in that Luke company Harper. either. And we know they don't think anything of Luke Harper. But yeah. But they play hardball with him. So it's it's right. it's not even a matter of, okay, the people they think little of, they just let walk. It's just it's totally unpredictable how they handle each situation. At any rate, he shows up in New Japan. He announces his intentions to take part in the G1. We don't know any other details. I think a lot of people are assuming that he's just a New Japan roster member now. That might not be the case. He could just be coming in for this G1. That could be the deal. Or maybe they want to see if he can prove himself in something like a G1 before they decide if they want to use him moving forward. So we shouldn't jump to conclusions as far as what his actual involvement in New Japan is going to entail beyond this tournament. Uh, where a lot of people were taken back was this show took place on the same day as Noah's big yearly Masawa tribute show in Corken Hall. So the idea being that some people believe New Japan was rubbing their face, was rubbing Noah's face in this, or that Kenta was disrespectful towards 
Masawa and Noah. Look, I did a 35-minute piece of audio behind the paywall where I break it down and give all of my thoughts in extreme detail. Um, I think that those takes those takes are off base. But if you want to hear my detailed thoughts, uh, patreon.com slash voices wrestling. It's on the $5 tier. Rich, you get to have your say. Are you put off at all uh, by either Kenta being in New Japan, period, or by Kenta showing up in New Japan on the day he did? Uh, are you one of these people who would have been okay with it if maybe they did it at Super Juniors or if they did it in Corkin next week? Uh, do you feel like they had to do it on this day? Uh, I am of the belief that it's not New Japan's problem what other companies are doing on what day of the week. I, I think New Japan's concern is New Japan. I don't think they have any obligation to Noah or what show that Noah's running that day. I don't think any of that matters. Where do you stand on all of that? I'm kind of the same way as well, and it, it's it's especially when we talk about the gap now that that's that's you know been between him leaving we're talking what five years now basically right what, what is the exact timeline there? five years around five years yeah so it's been five years since he's left noah and, and similar to what you kind of talked about last week when we were talking about aoki is this is not it is noah but it's not noah in a weird way you know what i mean like there, the, yeah. he has no obligation i mean there is what been what two different owners since he's been there there have been multiple ownership changes since he left yes. yeah i mean we're, we're talking about you know your yushida days or uchida days and then you had what I, I forget what the hell the name of this company now then, that, that, then new, and new japan was involved in right oh yeah duh, yeah so basically three if you want to kind of say in terms of like kind of money backers or or, or so he's you know he's three different owners passed uh, new logo, new ring, new everything just feels a lot different about Noah other than the name. The name itself has kind of stayed there. And now I can get how if you were a hardcore Noah fan, you would feel disrespected by that or you would feel, oh, geez, that, that's really you know kind of a slap in the face. But I don't feel like Kenta at this point is under any obligation to, to this ownership of pressing Noah. I don't think he's under any obligation to, to whatever. And, and New Japan's under no obligation to Noah as well to do it. Is it maybe in some way crass to do it on the Masawa show. You, I guess you could see it that way, but I really don't. I just think that's that's sort of connecting two things that aren't really, I don't think, all that connected because I don't connect Kenta with Noah that much anymore. I mean, he's just not been there in five years. He wasn't, you know, it's a different company. It's a different ownership. It just, it, so much has changed in those five years that I just can't get all that mad about it. And, and I can't tell somebody they can't be mad about it or they can't find it disrespectful but i just in my heart of hearts don't believe so and I, I don't think you know the other thing too is i don't think there was any malice in it i think it just so happens that the time that they wanted to debut him i don't think that new japan said ah kenta you know what we're gonna have you we're gonna have you debut on the masawa show that'll show them there's no i mean they, why would they have malice towards noah they have no need i mean they're they're they've left them <laughs> the, well, the, the, over, angle, man. the the angle well, I'll play devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. think there's malice is because of the way that the sale went down behind their back. Noah sold the majority, the previous owners sold the majority stakes behind New Japan's back to these new owners who then kicked New Japan out. So that's where people would say, to me, though, that's absurd. I think this is I mean, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is, look, New Japan might not be thrilled with Noah, but this was happenstance. The two shows just happened to be the same day. And there were three other G1 announcements on this show. It's very clear they wanted to do all of their surprise G1 things on this show. Why should they move one of them just because the Noah show is the same day? That's Again, it's not their problem to be worried about what shows Noah is running on what day. So that's where I stand on that. And that's what I talked about length behind the paywall is I don't think that's New Japan's problem to be concerned with that. Um, and, and honestly, I don't even think it's that big a deal. 
You know what I mean? I don't think it's that big a deal. Again, like you said, five years, and it wasn't a direct jump either. If it's a direct jump, maybe it's more of a conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. If he's like, yeah, and, and, uh, totally. I mean, if we're talking about a guy who had been there throughout these five years, and the day he decides to waltz into New Japan yes. is the day they do it. Yeah, then abs- Then I'm 100% with you that, oh, dude, like, if I'm Kenta and if I'm New Japan, I say, hey, you know what, dude? Kazuna Road will be perfectly fine. That's okay, man. We'll wait two weeks to announce you. That's not a big deal. We're, we're talking a half a decade. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. That's almost as long as this show has existed, Kenta's not been in Noah. And, he was like, in a different company in a different country. I mean, you know, it's like it's not even a, it's not even close to a direct jump anymore at this point. And again, he never worked for these people. He didn't work for these people. Who is he? Who exactly is he being disloyal to? Uh, you know, so I don't know. I I think it's much to do about nothing. Right. Also, I also find it ironic too. And again, like we're given a lot of you know maybe uh, most people don't care and most people don't really give a shit. But you know there are at least we have to address it a little bit. But uh, I also find it just insanely ironic that that pressing Noah fans are upset about a guy you know jumping ship to another company. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean. I mean pressing yeah. Noah. <laughs> I address that on the paywall right. audio. It's <laughs> like, like you really you, don't have room to talk. I mean, your company's entire existence is based on disloyalty. Jumping I mean, a ship, uh, Noah, Noah's yeah. Ark, <laughs> you a know, ship. So, you know, so, I mean, exactly, exactly. So it's it's kind of that I always find kind of funny too. Where they're like, oh no, goddamn it! I'm like, well, I mean, you really don't have room to talk. Your entire basis, your company is based off guys being like, fuck this, we're out. See ya. So um, you can, and that was direct jumps and direct you know competition where where this really isn't at this point so no I, I i'm i have no real big issue with it and i'm i'm you know how can i not be fucking excited it's got to the goddamn g1 so it's like this is the best opportunity for him at this point in his career uh and we'll see we'll see what he is and i think this is going to be the thing because i had a bunch of people you know text me and 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 whatnot and be like oh my god kenta's in the g1 kenta's in the g1 it's gonna be awesome and it'll be awesome and i kind of just say i think it's gonna be awesome i hope it's gonna be awesome but i really don't know what he is at this point anymore like i, I don't know if the NXT thing is, is has been something that's ruined his career, or or that you know the the five year that he's he's been wrestling and whatnot, like and then the pile of he's had a bunch of injuries when he was in NXT too. He's had a bunch of injuries when he was in America, and he's a guy that that has had battled some some issues even before that too. He's older than he was. He's five year older, five years older than we saw him the last time, and and you can argue that his peak is is it was even then sort of kind of on the downswing when he was on his way to, to America and whatnot if you really really yeah. wanted to I don't know is he going to be re-inspired is he is he ready to go is he going to get himself in the best shape of his life maybe <laughs> it might be but just as likely he can go there and just kind of be okay you know what I mean like so I'm I'm kind of setting up my expectations there where, where I hope that he just nails them I hope the first match out there he's just fucking the Kent of old but I don't know if the Kent of old exists anymore and that that's some one of my worries a little bit is that I just don't know what to say so I know there are a lot of people that are super excited that we're just we're gonna get you know 2009 kenta is just gonna land in, in, in new japan and be ready to go or 2005 kenta or whatever year you, you know you choose to really you know, put plant your flag as like the year of kenta or whatever like i i don't know if that kenta is coming into new japan right now I, I have no idea i don't know what it's gonna be i don't know if he was just cautious because that's the thing and we talked about a lot with wb and nxt and and and, and triple h i think even addressed it on one of the conference calls is that he had to pull this guy to, by the side and just say hey look we hired you to be you like it's okay if you're gonna stiff a guy it's okay to throw stiff kicks it's okay to be what you, whatever you're gonna be because that's who you are but you could tell that he was never comfortable in that he was never comfortable in that system so i don't know is it that he's adapted his style so much at this point that he can't go back to the old Kenta or is he going to be able to in one match just go back and do it I mean the Marifuji match I guess saw a little bit of that but I won't say that I was completely blown away by his performance in that match it wasn't like oh boy this is Kenta man let's go 
it was good. It was really, really good. It was better than a lot of his his, his NXT stuff, but I don't know if it's going to be maybe what people expect. But I hope it is. I hope he goes out there in the first match and absolutely kills it, and he's ready to go in this G1, and he's just the Kent of old. But, you know, I, I, I have to temper my expectations a little bit because I just don't know what it's going to be. I have hopeful optimism, and I think that Rich, the eyes. I looked in his eyes. I know you. People think I'm nuts, but you could. He he looked inspired. He looked like Kenta. I saw Kenta for the first time since 2014 in that ring, and he was in tremendous shape. You could see it in his face. He was out of shape and unmotivated at the end, and he 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 was chubby. The big joke was like two hundred five live. This guy's like two thirty. <laughs> right, right. You can see it in the the cheeks, like you said, were a time the where you could, we laughed about back. it. We said, you know, he loves IHOP or he loves so much IHOP, and he definitely appeared to enjoy IHOP in his final uh, few years in NXT. Because yeah, he he definitely plumped up a little bit. And at that at this show, he looked like he's been in the gym and watching what he he looked in tremendous shape. And Rich, the eyes, he looked like, I was like, holy shit, that's Kenta. The intensity in the eyes, the way he looked, I, that made me, you know, he went out there smiling, smiling Hideo like he was from day one in WWE. I don't know, man. I saw it in his eyes. I, I think, you know, I, it, it, it can go either way. I think we'll know right away. But I'm hopefully I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic. I I I think it has a chance to turn out well. I do. I, I think that he'll be more comfortable to work the way he wants to work here. And I think that he probably views that time as a failure. How could he not? And he probably wants to prove himself. And what better place to do it? He's on the biggest stage in yeah. Japan, in the G1, where he can prove himself and put Hideo Itami behind him. And show people that he's not washed up and go toe to toe with the best roster in the world where you're expected to go out there and have great Matt. I, I think it's the perfect opportunity for him. I don't think it's too big for him. Guy's a major star. He's been in big matches. It's, it's not going to feel too big for him. That's not going to be a problem. The only problem is if he can physically do it or not. Mm-hmm. That's really the only question. I think he'll have the right mindset and I think he'll, he'll not, he's not going to be afraid of the stage. That's not a problem at all. It's will the body hold up? And can he still go? But it looks like, look, I think he's been hanging out with his pal Shibata in LA, getting into shape. And 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 listen, and we were told by somebody inside the business that would probably know that Noah did talk to him. And money was a big issue. So look, no one shot their shot, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm I, and I'm positive too for all the oh my god, Kenta doesn't give a shit and Kenta. I I I in my heart of hearts, I believe that was probably his first call. And I'm sure he he heard them out. Right. But it's like I said last week. I don't care who gets insulted. At this point, they're a big indie, and it hurts me to say that because I love Noah. But at this point, they're a, a large indie. When you really break it down. They're topping out at 2,300 fans per show. It's going to be a bloodbath when they run Sumo Hall. Let's be honest. And if and I want to be wrong. Okay? They're putting 800 people in the cork in half the time. Unless it's Golden Week or the Misawa show. They're putting 800 people into cork and look it up. Okay? They can't afford the guy. 
He's 38 years old. He he's entitled to make some money too. You know, it's it's that's got to be part of this. You can't ignore that. This is you know his chance, one last chance at a big run. He's entitled to make a little cash. And if New Japan came in higher and could offer him more money, and he sees you know two dome shows at the end of the tunnel to work towards and all those things, you know how can you kill the guy for this decision? You can't kill him. I don't think there's a bad guy in this story. I don't think Kenta's a bad guy. I don't think New Japan's a bad guy. I don't think Noah's a bad guy. They couldn't afford him. And again, we don't know. He could end up back in Noah for all we know. You know, so I hate to use the cliched term, but let it play out too. Let it play out. After this G1, who knows? This could just be a one-tour deal or whatever. So we'll see. But I don't think there's any bad guys here. And I'm cautiously optimistic. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it than hopeful and optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic that he can have a a good tournament. But um, anyway, if you want to hear me rant about that, and well, not really rant, a pretty calm and and subdued 35-minute oral essay on, uh, on Kenta in more detail and looking at the history of jumps in Japan and everything else, you can find that on Patreon. On the five dollar tier, Rich. Uh, anything else on Kenta? You want to move on to these? Uh, not really. No, I'm excited. Uh, as you said, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic. Is probably the best way. Hope so, but yeah, we'll see. So we got the two Cork and Hall shows coming up this week, where they will announce the uh, presumably announce the G1 participants and then the G1 blocks. Uh, the the second of those shows, the 17th, that is already. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is sold out. They actually already sold out one of the G1 Cork and Hall shows, if you could believe it. Uh, the fan club uh, sold out a G1 Cork and Hall show, uh, the Saturday show, before it even hit the general public. So that's how hot things are in New Japan right now. They're selling out shows before anything is announced in terms of even people don't even know who's in the G1 other than the four guys who claim that they wanted to be in it. But uh, we do have a tour in between before we get to the G1. And we got the two G1 shows, which are really... They know that people are going to buy tickets to these shows just for the G1 announcements. So these two Cork and Hall shows uh, basically have nothing on them. There's a never open weight title defense on on the one on the 17th. Uh, Rich, could you even name the never open weight six man champions if you weren't staring? Oh at Oh my god, I'm not actually staring at it right now, and uh, I can't. I think I think it's a Bullet Club crew, but I don't know that that's true. Nah, it's Makabe, Yano, and Taguchi. No, it's not. That's a lie. Nope, <laughs> absolute truth, and they defend. Against a Bullet Club crew, Phantasmo, Yujiro, oh, so and it's about Jake. to be. So I was right. <laughs> By this time next week, I'll be right because it's definitely going to be that Bullet Club crew. But yeah, wow. Okay. Phantasmo, Yujiro, and Chase Owens are your challengers uh, for the Never Open Weight Title. Uh, my document is frozen, so I can't see the June sixteenth Cork and Hall show. If you give me a little assist there, yeah, no I- problem. So only thing that really matters here, Show and Yo uh, defending against Ishimori and Phantasmo. So. Um, not so a, that, does that change your mind about the six man titles? If Fantasmo mm, and Ishimori, if if they win the junior tag titles, would they double belt Fantasmo? Will he be running around with three titles? With oh, oh LP fan, uh, three belt. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think he's probably they're probably not winning those titles. Uh, they're not winning the ta- the tag titles, and then they go back and win the the never open weights. But that now when you list the teams in the never open weight, there's like a lot of juniors on that. So maybe they're just not going to win the never open weight titles. Maybe they win the titles here. 
uh, and not the never open weights. But I don't know. That seems that's strange. Yeah, it's kind of weird back to back. Other stuff down that 16th show again. There's not much. It's Okada, Yoshihashi, and Hanare uh, versus Minoru Suzuki, Zack Saber Jr., Lance Archer. Uh, and yeah, that's really kind of the only two matches that I heard. No, they, don't, they, don't, they don't put anything on them because there's people nothing. Buy- people are people buy tickets to stare at a screen and, and go, yeah, every time they announce a, a new participant in the G1. So, uh, do you think Phantasmo takes two L's though? I think he wins one of the two. He's winning one of the two. No, he's winning one of the two. That's why I think the never open weight seems like the more obvious one. But you know, I guess it would. I would I be stunned if Ishimori and Phantasmo won the, the, the junior heavyweight titles? I don't, I don't think I would. I think that's probably a good spot for them right now. That would be Chase Owens' first championship in New Japan if he wins the uh, trios title. Is that true? He's never gotten a trio before? No. Wow. He's never held a title. And, uh, he defended the NWA junior title. In, in right, 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 right. Hmm. But um, he's never been a champion in New Japan. So we have um, on June 25th, that's the Kazuna Roadshow, correct? That's where we're getting um, Sendai, uh, the Sendai Sun Plaza. That's the... Uh, because again, my my document is yeah, frozen. no problem. Yeah, no that, that so these are all part of the Kazuno Road ones, but that's kind of the the, the cap off show, the kind of the, the the Keystone show of uh, the Kazuno Road on on, on the twenty fifth. And yeah, your matches there, your big sort of matches, uh, Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship, which we were kind of worried was maybe going to be like on that Royal Quest show or like the main event of something else. I guess it's the main event of this show, but again, it doesn't really matter on this tour. It's kind of just a nothing tour. But it's Zack Saber Junior defending against Yoshihashi, which could be another reason too why Yoshihashi got those pinfalls too. So maybe we're maybe we'll be spared right, a Yoshihashi G one run and it was just to kind of set him up for this title match hopefully fingers crossed uh be good there uh, also rev pro british cruiserweight champion <laughs> el Fantasmo defending against taguchi uh on this uh, show as well uh and then okada ishi yano liger and tiger mask versus suzuki archer taichi kanamoro and joe you know who's back you told me next you told me last week he yeah. might be back yeah well i yeah i Loki's think back that- well, here's the thing. Not only do I think he was good enough to come back, I think uh, uh, Despy's not back yet. So they still need this guy to fill out the card. Sure. So we'll see when Desperado comes back. I still think there's a chance they retain him when Desperado comes back, but we'll see. It should be noted that Gorillas of Destiny have a match against Juice Robinson and Mikey Nichols on this show, and to our knowledge, this is not a title match. Right, yeah. Everything that I've read, it said it's not a title match, but but that may have changed by the time we're recording this. I'm at a bad info, but everything that I've seen is that that is not a title match, which is, uh, it's just interesting. You couldn't even just make it a token title match. It's just like, no, now, no, 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 could, no, no, now, it's not. Now, to be fair, that could be, now the English New Japan page didn't list any of these as title matches initially, because just because of whoever did it screwed up, so right. who knows, that might be a title match. Um, I also saw somewhere on the tour that there's a Tomohiro Ishii Toa Hanare singles match. It wasn't listed as a never match, but again, that was on the English page on the first night. So that may there might be a never title defense on this tour too. As of this recording, I can't confirm that, but they do have a singles match. And if you remember, they had a killer singles match. Yeah, yeah, they did. So, you know, I, I hope that's a never title match. You can't really justify Hanare getting a title match from a win-loss perspective, but um, I would still like to see that. Just a never title, who cares? You know, and that and, and it's like you're talking about. You get some defenses under Ishii's belt. And then uh, we should note they're going to Australia as part of this tour, too. Uh, Melbourne on the 29th and Sydney on the 30th. Lots of new names. Aaron Solo on this leg of the tour. Yeah, awesome. what, a, what, a, what a pull there for Aaron Solo. Nice. And he's on the New Japan roster page. Along with Slex, who's also on the tour, Australian wrestler, Gino Gambino. But listen, he's a 
Bullet Club member technically, so I get that one. And there was a fourth guy, I can't remember who it is, um, who, who it might be Jack Bonza, but I'm not positive, who are on the New Japan. Now, there's a lot of Australian talent on these undercards, a lot of um, Tony Kazina slash Bad Luck Fale students. Kazina's wrestling on the tour too, but the wheel. Yes, yes, yeah, against Rocky Romero. That would be a good part so, but my point here is, why would they put four of these guys on the roster page and not the rest of them? There has to be something to that, right? I mean, I'm asking you, I, you know. It, it was Bonza, by the way. Were you trying to figure out if Bonza was yeah. the one that was on there? He, yeah, he is indeed on the on, on the roster page. So, um, no, I mean, one of the things that's, that's and we always we always talk about this too, and I, I don't know if we talk about it as much on the show as we maybe do on Twitter, uh, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter, by the way, is the New Japan roster page is like, that is the holy Bible of like New Japan's roster and who's who's where and if you're signed and if you're fit. Like we were, you know, with bated breath waiting for Kenny Omega to fall off. And when he wasn't off, we were saying, oh, he's not totally done with New Japan because he's still on that roster. And then he was done. You know what I mean? Then it was just off. And we haven't heard a thing about Kenny Omega back in New Japan since then. So they're they're like they're pretty tight with that. Like no, people just don't get on that roster because a complete accident. And there's a reason why those four guys are on there. And 